Welcome to Vicious Talk with Benny P. Coming up, episode 61, Connor and I doing our, our NFL divisional playoff round analysis. We got our best bets, DFS lives, you name it, we're, we're back and helping our listeners win some cash and some DFS uh, play this week. Connor, thank you, coming, thank you for coming back on the podcast, buddy. I appreciate uh, you having me on, Ben, and thanks for making time on a Saturday morning. I know I got you up early, and uh, we had a lot of football and lots, a lot of stuff to cover, a lot of last-minute injuries to go over. So that's why we're doing it on a Saturday morning, give you guys the most up-to-date info, and uh, let's let's get into it, man. I'm excited. Yeah, dude, it, I feel bad recording this on Saturday morning because I know it's early for me, but I we got to do it. And, you know, this week, a lot of my attention was focused on those, ep- those last two episodes for Vicious Talk, 59 and 60, some of my favorite episodes I ever was a part of. I mean, I, I, I don't know how much you or if you've been able to, to tune into those yet, but really just a lot of fun recording those two. And, and I, I spent a lot of my attention and time on getting those edited. And, and it, was, it was eight total interviews or, or, or maybe nine interviews between the whole project. And it was a lot of fun. It was an oral history of my travel baseball team and my grandfather's travel baseball team back when he started in 1969. And we ended up my brother and I played for the team between 2008 to about 2014 or so. So it was an organization with a lot of history, a lot of uh, impact in the community of Montebello and Southern California in general. Um, just really was like a, was a brotherhood. And what, what was cool is I was interviewing guys from back that played like in the 70s. And they were sharing a lot of the same values and culture and themes that we experienced in the, the 2000s and 2008 and 2009 like and so it was like 30 years removed 40 years removed and we were experiencing a lot of the same stuff and it's because of the foundation and the impact my grandfather had and what I really learned in the project what the project turned to was just an ultimate love letter to my grandfather and it was really cool so I had a lot of fun doing it and uh that ended up to you know like I said taking a little bit of my attention away from the football research and the focus this week but glad we were able to get this in we'll get this recorded posted up for listeners to listen to before the start of the games today saturday january 16th yeah it's a really cool project then i haven't caught the latest two episodes i think you posted within the past couple of days and Mm -hmm. i i've heard some earlier ones that you've done in this series about the montebello stars and i think it was a couple more contemporary players, a couple of your friends, I think. Yeah. Um, but so I'm definitely looking forward to delving into more of the the history of the team and the impact in South uh, California. Yeah. The the interviews with the older folks is really fun. It's like, it's kind of funny because they're, they ramble and they get off on tangents and then like they have like really cool stories sometimes. So it's a fun listen. It must've been a fun edit for you. <laughs> yeah, totally. I had to take out some of the stuff that, you know, just they had to, they had to, always consistently go off on tangents sometimes and you got to keep them you got to keep them on track but all right before we kick it off and we we dive into some nfl action uh wanted to quickly touch on a lot of the the hot news in the sports realm right now i mean obviously the nhl has been going on and uh, i don't I'm, I'm not as much researched in the nhl no you're not as much at least not in these other main sports that we talk about with basketball and football mainly football obviously that we talk about weekly um but wanted to touch on the nba because there's a lot of nba stuff going on right now the Harden trade the james Harden trade from houston to brooklyn that blockbuster deal was the headlines of the sports world really this week um Harden going to Brooklyn in exchange for Karis LeVert going to Indianapolis um or Indiana and and Karis uh Karis LeVert going there Jared Allen going to Cleveland Oladipo to Houston a lot of moving pieces picks all over pick swaps all over um really just 
a, a beast of, of a deal. And for me, my interpretation of the deal was Houston was never going to trade with Philadelphia. They weren't. I don't think they were going to. The owner for Houston, uh, his name escapes me for whatever reason at this moment, but uh, he, he was had a, a long-time relationship with James Harden and Daryl Morey, and there was no way he was going to trade uh, James Harden to reunite with Morey, and the Philadelphia Sixers would immediately become the NBA, at least in the East, the NBA Finals favorites to make it out of the East. And there was no way the owner for Houston was going to see that through. He, like, he would, he would be sick to his stomach if he traded Harden to Philadelphia and then the Sixers made the NBA Finals or won the NBA Finals. Like, I don't think there was any chance he was ever going to do that. They were trying to get the last bit of leverage they could out of, you know, what Harden had forced them into because all of his public toxicity and all of his public comments and just, I had never seen a single player basically get on the bad side of everybody on his, he pissed off everybody in the Houston locker room. Team coaches, fans, yeah. everybody. I, I had never seen a single player like DeMarcus Cousins and John Wall talking about, yo, we don't care about this guy. Like the the the, the issue started well before his comments about he you see his comments, he's like, I have given everything I had to this seat. That's a that's a bullshit lie. That's a that's a like that is just a bold faced lie that he did everything he could for Houston. I mean, I get it. he was there for years and the prior years, you know, he had, he was close to the NBA finals with Chris Paul. Um, when they when Paul got hurt in the game seven or game six, and then the he wasn't available in game seven, they they were they were, they were really close to making it to the finals, and they were right there. And the fact is, James Harden was a main reason for a, a good amount of their playoff woes. He was not a good playoff player for Houston. I mean, you could say all you want, one of the best statistically uh, statistical offensive players of all time, really. It, his offensive stretch over his last decade of work almost has been incredible historic but how much of that is houston catering to james harden how much of that is houston schematically gearing their offensive scheme to james harden's strengths and it's a boring brand of basketball and they suffered i'm sure i mean obviously houston's gonna keep fans in the city but you know how many fans did they lose because they were playing such boring and unenjoyable basketball outside of the city because basketball is a worldwide sport you're trying to get fans from not just your own hometown you're getting fans from china you're getting fans from all over the world and everybody in the u.s i mean the the basketball world is a player driven is a player driven commodity guys want to fans want to root for their favorite players and i don't know how many Fans would consider James Harden their favorite player over guys like Kevin Durant, LeBron James, Kawhi Leonard. Even I know Kawhi is not necessarily, you know, he doesn't have as much of a personality to you know convince fans to root for him. But he's very likable in the fact that he works very hard, he keeps his head down, he plays very well, very professional. James Harden is not that same kind of player, despite being on the talent level of all those guys. But what do you think of the trade? I mean, the Rockets were clearly backed into a corner here and they had to give up one on one of the top assets in the league. And I think they did a good job of getting some value back in terms of what they were getting, get, getting rid of because everybody knew the position they were in. Um, I, I like Old Depot, even if he comes back 
as 90% of what he was well, the in previous seasons Depot, before his injury. wants to go to Miami. That's the rumor. So Oladipo might not be in Houston for very long. But I do like Oladipo. And then, I think he's a good player. And then you get a young Karis Levert who was doing everything Oladipo was doing uh, going into Indiana. And you have a little bit more flex space in terms of his contract because it's not an expiring like Oladipo was. So now you have this young core in Indiana with Sabonis. And I like what that team can possibly do going forward. I think they might be the biggest winners of this trade in terms of establishing a young group that has potential. Yes. I don't love this from a Nets perspective because now you have the three most ball-heavy players in the They're league. All in. They push all their they, chips it, on the it, table. Absolutely, and and they just dump some of their younger talent, and so it's it's now or never. You have three aging stars, Kyrie being the youngest, but you know, well, Ky- funny enough, Kyrie the youngest. Kevin but he Durant, be, are you happy about this? Well, Ky- Kyrie might be the. Kyrie might be the one that retires first of these three. He's the youngest, but he might retire. You might retire. Well, yeah, first. he's a total head case. Total head I case. mean, but yeah, Durant Harden looks out of shape yeah. coming into this. D- I mean, Durant is great, but I, yeah. I'm worried about him getting enough touches on this type of offense. He's the Just, best player no, on this Durant, team by far. Durant has looked amazing so far this season. There's no way they could steer their offense in any direction besides flowing through Kevin Durant. So Kevin Durant's got to be Batman. James Harden has to be Robin. And then, Kyrie's got to be Alfred. And is Kyrie going to be okay with that? I mean, I don't know, you know. And is James Harden going to be okay with that? Is he going to be okay with being James Harden on the Thunder again, where he's the leader on this team in the second rotation and takes second fiddle to Durant when he's out on the court? Yeah. I'm not sure if he's going to be able to do that. And I could see a lot of issues in this locker room because all three of those guys have huge egos and want to win. But I'm not sure because they all think they're the best player on the team. I'm not sure if they can accomplish that goal to where they're all three happy at the same time. Yeah. The whole X factor for me with this, I mean, there's two, obviously, that chemistry wise and stylistically, how do these players mesh together? And I we got to see it to to understand how it's going to work, because I, I have no idea how three such ball heavy players can be coexisting in an offense that is going to be. You know, I don't see how they're going to flow well. We want we got to see how they're going to flow and how they're going to transition and how how the the touches are going to be shared and distributed amongst them all. That's that remains to be seen. And I I don't know enough about you know what they want to do and, and enough about you know what they could they could do. Uh, it's we got to see it. We have to figure out what it's going to look like before we kind of make too many you know, judgments about how we think that they're going to mesh on the court. Cause I think that it could be amazing. I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of range of possibilities here, right? I mean, it, they could be amazing. They could be the absolute best offensive team that we've ever seen because that's what they're capable of. These three players, but you're right in the fact that right from a talent perspective yeah. like Steph and Clay and then Harden and Kyrie you can definitely put them all on a similar pedestal in terms of their skills but their skills are so different in the way they play the sport I mean Steph and Clay were two of the best off ball offensive players you're going to yes. find constantly moving and, and you throw Draymond into the mix too I mean if I'm KD and I'm like okay so I went 
from having two guys constantly moving on the <laughs> liked... court, always yeah. setting picks and getting open and being able to hit a three from anywhere to two guys on offensive possessions that are going to continually check out unless the ball is in their hand. Yeah. Defenses are going to be able to key in on the ball and and not have to worry about the off-ball players nearly as much. I, I'm worried that Harden's just going to post up in a corner and clap his hands every time KD drives and then sulk when he doesn't get the ball. Like, I just don't see how this offense is going to be nearly as successful as, say, the Warriors from a couple of years ago, even though they had the same type of star power. Yeah. And I liked what Charles Barkley said. He goes, uh, Durant went from the Sprat, the Splash Brothers to the Dribble Dribble Bros or whatever. And, I, and mm-hmm. they should have been the, the Dribble Dudes or something like that. You got to have the alliteration in there. But um, the other X factor for me, though, just to wrap it up, is the Kyrie thing. Because how much of this was Kyrie... I, I I heard a good point from Jackie McMullen on, on the on the Bill Simmons podcast, and it made a lot of sense. Where the situation at the Capitol, the situation with Jacob Blake, the Jacob Blake shooting, uh, a lot of the stuff that's going on. Kyrie is a very, you could say, for lack of a better term, woke individual. He's very involved in the community, and he that stuff matters to him. And how much of this whole situation of him not wanting to play and and being separated for personal reasons from the team, how much it does do these occurrences have to play with this how how much are they involved and if that's if that's the situation if that's the case you know i re, i would respect that i would you know i would i would i would accept that i would say you know that that is understandable that these situations that's going on in our country right now they could they could affect anybody that way and i would i would accept if that was the case but the thing is Kyrie doesn't say anything he doesn't he doesn't communicate with anybody in the media he doesn't share anything and you know that's his right but then it's the media's right to you know start making accusations like Stephen A said retire today you see you see Stephen A saying like he just told Kyrie you should just retire because clearly and and for me I'm not surprised about this because clearly Kyrie doesn't take basket it's Kyrie doesn't consider basketball his number one priority in his life. And that's okay. But, you know, these guys like LeBron James and and athletes like Tom Brady and Russell Wilson and these elite athletes put their sport and their craft and their performance in their sport as their number one priority, where they're spending millions of dollars on their bodies to keep them right. They spend hours and hours and hours in the gym to perfect their craft. And I don't know that Kyrie Irving considers himself on that I don't know how Kyrie can, can consider himself in that same pedestal, that same caliber of elite athlete, because basketball isn't his number one priority. And that's OK. You know, that's understandable. But as a fan, it's hard to accept that. It's jarring when your favorite athlete and your favorite team or your or a player that is um, as is as talented and capable as Kyrie is. It's hard for fans to accept the fact that he doesn't put basketball as his number one priority and I, I you know it's it's the it's just the fact of the way it is and but the only thing is it's possible <laughs> I don't think how I don't think this is likely it's possible Kyrie was making this was staging this whole situation or part of it at least could have been him staging this whole situation to basically remove himself from the Harden trade negotiations because the, the trade would have made a lot of sense just Kyrie for Harden a straight up, almost like at the Isaiah Thomas trade, where they, where Cleveland sent him to to Boston, and Cleveland accepted Isaiah Thomas in return. It would have been, you know, in that same kind of vein. Houston sending 
Brooklyn, uh, Harden to Brooklyn and Kyrie to Houston. That would have made a little sense. And I think it could have been a little bit of a smokescreen to from Kyrie to, you know, get him out of those trade negotiations and, and to keep himself on the nets. And for the nets, man, they are all in. Like I said, they, they traded, they were already struggling a little bit on defense and they traded away their best rim protector in Jared Allen. Jared Allen's good. He, he's a very good player. And he, he went to Cleveland and what's interesting is he goes to Cleveland and now Cleveland has like, all these big men, all these really good big like men. Like 20 centers. It's yeah. ridiculous. I think it signals they got to be trading uh, Andre Drummond at some point this season. And Drummond's I'm a good player. Andre Drummond, he's playing like point guard on Cleveland yeah, that, now. That I watched him bring the ball him. up the court. Yeah. And like, what's, what's going on down there, that Drummond? One like, clip what? of him just finger rolling the ball into the air. That was hilarious. Oh my God. There's another one where he's dr- driving up the court and he just tosses it and it looks like it's supposed to be going to the corner, but there are two defenders in between him. And then Larry Nance comes out of nowhere, snags the ball and dunks it. I mean, it's yeah. hilarious. I saw that. Yeah. He just, I don't, oh I don't think gosh. that pass was going to him. It was not. No, it definitely wasn't. Drummond <laughs> it was a good play by Nance. <laughs> and, and the funny thing is the Cavs have two great point guards that they recently yeah, Garland, drafted. Garland and Sexton are Garland good. Garland and Sexton. So why is Drummond breaking the ball up? Yeah. I, I don't know what that team is. They're all point guards and big men. Yeah. So it's uh, the, uh, the Sexland duo in Cleveland, uh, Gar- Garland and Sexton. <laughs> but um, yeah, I... I'm interested to see how this Nets thing turns out. I don't like their depth. I mean, with especially with Dinwiddie out now, the Kyrie situation is ever ever more crucial. They really have a lot riding on those three players, Harden, Kyrie, and Durant. And they need they need those guys. They need them to be the, the their excellent. You know, historically, like this is the possibly the best trio we've ever seen because. If these guys achieve their potential, the ta- talent-wise, these three guys could all... I mean, Durant could be a, a top 10 player all time. Ky- Harden could be a top 20 player all time, at least offensively. And Ky- Kyrie Ceiling, you know, is a top 50 player all time. So, I mean, it it, it, it compares to the, the, Durant, the Durant, Steph, Clay combination trio that you were mentioning. But this is a, an incredible trio of players. I feel like Jay-Z just needs to get the Brooklyn bros together and just have a little powwow and be like, all right, Kyrie, we got to get your head screwed on straight. And I want you to feed these guys the ball. They're going to do the scoring. You get your assist numbers up and let's have some fun and get some wins. But yeah. I almost feel like Kyrie and some of his antics were almost to push Brooklyn to make a deal. Yeah. Because you're right. They weren't performing up to ex- expectations already early on in the season. And clearly they needed to do something. Well, Durant looks yeah, amazing. I, know, not... I think Durant is, is for me, a, a front runner for MVP right now. I mean, yeah. he looks amazing. I mean, Kyrie's clearly no evil mastermind where he was able to, from behind the scenes, uh, navigate a, a James Harden deal. I feel like that's more like a LeBron is able to pull some strings and get players <laughs> on his team. But he did learn from the LeBron school. He, did, he, he did. does he, come from the LeBron school of thought. Yeah, he loves trashing LeBron every chance he gets on social media, dude. It's crazy. <laughs> I don't know. I, I'm rooting for the Nets, though. I want Brooklyn to have a good team. Yeah. It, it The East is wide open for me. I mean, the Nets, they got it's It's championship or bust for them. But, I mean, really, you look at the East picture, 76ers have looked really good. And that's without Ben Simmons really performing much at all so far. I mean, obviously, he's going to be very good on the defensive end anytime he plays. But offensively, Simmons has a lot a lot more room for improvement. I think what 
Doc Rivers has been able to get out of Joel Embiid has been very impressive. Embiid, another MVP front runner right now, early on in this season. And um, it reminds me, I, I keep saying this, it reminds me of what De- Doc Rivers was able to do with, with DeAndre Jordan when he went to LA to coach the Clippers. And Embiid is, he. I don't, I'm sure a lot of it comes from his personal growth this offseason and, and his work during the offseason and his focus this year, but I don't know. Embiid looks like another animal this year. Doing it on both sides, both ends of the football. I mean, uh, football, basketball. And uh, Embiid is somebody that really needs to be in consideration for that MVP award this year. If the Sixers are going to be one of the top two or three seeds in the in the uh, Eastern Conference. Yeah, back when the Doc Rivers um, to Philadelphia was announced, we had Jeff on the podcast, and we were all talking about how we actually like this move a lot for Embiid because we thought having a stable figurehead at, like Doc Rivers as the head coach would be able to motivate him and get him moving in the right direction. Yeah. He, he had success doing this in L.A., and it's exactly as we predicted. And, well, the COVID and it's thing great with to the watch Sixers, for Embiid. The COVID thing for the Sixers it did derail some of their momentum, at least in the last week or two. So we'll see if they're able to rebound from that. Seth Curry with the was really the, the first NBA player to – start this whole chain of events where everybody's testing positive in, in, for COVID in the NBA right now. There's almost every, a good amount of the teams ha- have at least a player or two that have tested positive. And yeah. it's, it's been a struggle for them to, you know, keep the, the, the ball, keep the ball rolling, keep the train moving. And hopefully the NBA is able to complete the season. They need every team or almost, I think a majority of the teams to complete 70 games for, the uh, the RSNs the regional sports networks to uh, their their full funding to kick in and um, we'll see their, that's what their goal is and I mean getting back to the Eastern Conference though I mean like I said it's it's wide open for me because I think the Celtics have looked really good early on I love the combination of Tatum and and Brown those two guys are really really good Brown has made another jump this year he's improved steadily over the last few seasons and Brown is really reaching that All Star level. He could be a third-team All-NBA player the way he's playing right now. And Tatum is still Tatum. I mean, Tatum is awesome. And I'm sure he – I mean, he has a, a room to improve consistently, like where, with his consistency. Um, night in and night out, Tatum will sometimes have a dud of a game. But overall, Tatum – He gets into trouble when he starts playing like Kobe and yeah. he does a lot of the step back and fadeaways and he stops going dribbling. to the basket and getting to the free throw line. Yeah. You know, but yeah, he 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 has those games where he'll be a little bit too aggressive with his shot and not get to the basket. But you like to see their improvement for both of those young studs. Yeah, and I'm just worried about Kemba and his health again. Another large big, contract for the Celtics. For them. Yeah, Hayward never worked out because of his injuries, and it really seems like they just need a veteran piece to stay healthy with this team to help groom them, move them forward, and help play in big situations. And they haven't had that the past few years in the playoffs because their their leaders have all succumbed to injury, whether it was Kyrie or Gordon Hayward or Kemba Walker. It's yeah. these big signings that don't seem to work out for the Celtics. So hopefully Kemba can get it turned around and, and get his knee fixed. Yeah. And there's a lot of potential if they can. Agreed. Yeah, Kemba's a big X factor. Um, the Pacers as well, another team that I think could could come out of the East. Like you said, with the Karis LeVert acquisition, I think that is a big boost for them. I mean, Karis LeVert does a lot 
people some some people that are just the casuals that you see uh christian woods said to shaq is a casual he's like because shaq told him i didn't really know much about your game and he goes oh you're a casual so he started using that term the he, uh, pace for the uh the casuals that follow the nba karis levert does a lot for for the he he did a lot for the nets and he's gonna be a good player for for the pacers i think that the pacers are an interesting team uh, with a lot of talent, very well-rounded roster. Not necessarily somebody... They don't really have the clear best player on their team. I mean, Sabonis is their best player, but, I mean, guys like Brogdon can be their best player on, on a given night. And and TJ Warren, when he comes back from injury, he we, we saw what he could do in the bubble. Karis LeVert's going to be great for them. I like I like, I like the Pacers. I, I like their roster. It's fun. Um, but in the Western Conference, I mean, I... I what I'm afraid of as a Clippers fan within Western Conference is maybe none of this NBA analysis matters because the Lakers look better than they were, were last season. And last season, they dominated the NBA, really. Um, and we wanted to, all year last year, kind of cast doubt on the potential of the Lakers and what they could do. And in the bubble, they just won game after game. They had solid performances after solid performance, and the Lakers look better this year. I mean, the additions of Montrez Harrell and uh, Marc Gasol, for me, I, I was so mad that Harrell went to the Lakers because it, it's it's my fears are coming alive. Harrell fits perfectly for the Lakers. In a, in a season with no fans, the way that Harrell plays, he brings the energy and he gets his team amped up and and... Marcus Saul, while he's on the last stages of his of his career, still does a lot offensively. He is able to pass the ball and facilitate offense really well. And working in an offense with LeBron James, that's been pretty impressive. And then Dennis Schroeder, the addition of Dennis Schroeder. I mean, he's just good. He's good. You yeah. don't have to worry about what you're getting out of the point guard position night in and night out because Schroeder is just a good player. Um, but I mean, hopefully- you don't have regular season Rondo and playoff yeah. Rondo where you get these weird splits and yeah. you know he's just much much more consistent. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then and the go wh- off of Marcus Saul too. I mean, yeah. he he opens up so much more for this team's offense compared to Dwight Howard, where totally you know the ball goes into the post, it, it has to be a dunk for Dwight, Dwight or else it's kind because, of a black hole. Yeah, Dwight was good because he was playing with LeBron. Mm-hmm. Gasol, but now you have Gasol who can yes, facilitate. Exactly. He can pop out to the top of the key, and you can get some cutters. LeBron going to the basket, yes. and you can get AD. You can do. You can spread both of those two guys out because they both can shoot the three. So it really opens up this whole floor and allows this team to have more movement and, and more um, ability to get to the hoop because you don't have this clog in the middle of the lane as well. Yeah. Okay, so just to round out the Western Conference conversation, um, I think that. The only competitors for the Lakers are going to be the Clippers and the Suns. And the logical case is the Clippers, and they're my team. And, I mean, you can't you can't blame me for being pessimistic for the Clippers' opportunity this year. I mean, they look, they've look they looked good at times, but they also had that dud of a loss against the Golden State Warriors. They got blown out by Dallas earlier in the year. Like, the Clippers, they still have the same vibes, the same stink on them, where it's like they could be up by 20, and they could just completely collapse. And I, it's just I, – I want to believe that they have an opportunity to, to you know – push past this barrier of just the they can't make an NBA finals and they can't make a Western Conference finals and I want to believe that this team can do it and Paul George has looked amazing so far he's he's shooting like a 50 50 90 
uh, field goal, field, uh, three-point percentage, and uh, free throw percentage split. And Kawhi Leonard's been awesome. I mean, together, those two combined, I think, are shooting like fi- uh, 50, 45, 90. Um, but I, it's, it, at any moment with the Clippers, it could just roll all downhill and it could just snowball into just the most embarrassing loss at any moment. So I, I what I think is they're, they're going to need a, a, the continued good play of Nick Batum, who has been awesome for them so far. And I don't know if I'm going to believe that until I see it in the playoffs. I mean, Batum for so the last six years has had three just god awful seasons. He gave up in Portland, and then he gave up in two of the years with Charlotte. I mean, he was terrible last year, and Batum's been great for the Clippers this year. He was he's been one of the best offseason signings of the of the offseason this last NBA you know uh, signing period. And Batum, he's it's I don't like that he's playing such a crucial role in how this team is going to pivot and perform in the postseason. And I don't like. I don't like relying on Marcus Morris that much because I think Marcus Morris is is limited talent wise, at least offensively, and I think that he could go cold at any moment, and that's what gets me really scared. And then you know in the playoffs they're gonna let Marcus Morris and Pat Beverly shoot as many threes as they want, and whether or not they go in, we'll see. I I mean the Clippers have a lot of variables, and the ceiling is an NBA championship, which is encouraging, but the floor is a first round playoff loss, playoff out, and. We'll see. I, 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 as a Clippers fan, you'll excuse me for being pessimistic about their opportunity this year, but we'll see. What, are you, what have you seen the Clippers play at all this year? It, it, they're an interesting team, as you mentioned. They're a bit sporadic, and I, I'm worried about the long term Clippers outlook because they don't really have that lead voice in the locker room when yeah. things get rough because Kawhi is not the type of player to kind of pick up a roster and to re-motivate guys. You know, he's not going to be a bad voice in the locker room, but I don't think he's also going to be able to, to be the guy to turn it around. And we've already seen challenges in both Paul George and Nick Batum and Patrick Beverly's past where they've had sour attitudes and they've gone down the drain in terms of their basketball performance in, yeah. in situations. And so Long I do term, think, is this a team where you have confidence in yeah. a playoff series if they get down 2-0 or they, they get yeah. down 20 points the in a game? The adversity does not hit this team well. It'll yeah, have, I don't think it's a team that, that gets they motivated could, by yeah, it. They'll have to prove that they could overcome adversity, and I, we haven't seen it yet. It, and mm-hmm. we're not going to, I don't think, see their real test until they get to the postseason. Um, yeah, I mean, we've seen like LeBron teams in the past that have had really rough stretches, um, you know, in the middle of the season, and he becomes very vocal. He gets on the guys and he calls them out, and he makes sure that his team, by the time the playoffs come, everybody knows what their role is, everybody knows where they should be and what they should be doing. And I'm not sure anybody on this Clippers team, if the ship gets off course, can can help right the ship. Yeah. I do like the way that Ty Lue's manipulated their offenses. So, I mean, their lineups so far. Um, Ty Lue, I think, has been doing a pretty good job as a head coach thus far this year. And, I, and he's a championship caliber coach. He did a really great job in Cleveland. He was a really good job. I mean, he's done a really good job in everywhere he's been as a coach. And uh, I, I like Ty Lue as their coach this year. I think that he fits this, uh, this roster a little bit better than Doc Rivers did. Um, but, you know, how much difference is, is one coach coaching change going to make when this team hits that, you know, they're down, they're down two one and their backs are against the wall in the playoff series and they're playing a really good team. 
How's that going to work? You know, how's that adversity going to hit them? And it's going to be in the locker room between those players, whether or not they overcome that challenge. We'll see. Um, the, other, the only other team I think that has an opportunity to possibly make some noise in the Western Conference is the Suns because Chris Paul has completely changed that that Suns team. They look really good. And the thing is, Booker and, and Chris Paul, their two best offensive players, uh, have been, you know, good but not great. Paul's not shooting great right now. He's only taking, I think, like nine shots a game or something like that, or 11 shots a game. Not not really, you know, shooting the ball too much. And But Paul's been really good at assisting, uh, making it, uh, good passes. He's, he's, his assist totals are high. And uh, Devin Booker, I think, is averaging only like 22 points or so a game. He, he could really kick it into gear, high gear, at any moment in the year. He, Booker's a top five offensive player, in my opinion. Booker's really good. And the the big thing with them is the Suns have been pretty deep. They they as, as a team they've been really well rounded, and everybody's been putting in good efforts for them. But Mikel Bridges for the for the Suns, he coming out of uh, he was a Villanova guy, wasn't he? Yeah, he was twenty eighteen. I think he was yeah. a first round pick. He was he's been really really good for them on both side both ends of the floor. Bridges on the defensive side is really really good at this point in his career now, and he he's I think their second highest scoring player right now on offense. And so Bridges making a big step forward this year, kind of making some noise for most improved player of the year award. Um, Bridges has been really really good, and I think it. I mean, it's sustainable the way he plays. He's very consistent. He's he's been this way throughout his career, but he he seemed to make that extra jump again this year. So again, the Suns they have a bright future. I think they got to get more out of Aiton. Aiton needs some more work. He he's we haven't seen him make that jump that we were, we've been expecting out of him yet. And Aiton needs to you know show show more life if the Suns are going to make any noise against the Lakers eventually, or the Clippers for that matter if they face each other in the playoffs. Aiton's going to be their guy that they they need that inside presence. They need his ability to pick and roll. They need his ability to rim run, rim protect. Aiton's going to be very crucial to their success this year. Yeah, Bridges is an interesting piece. You know, the development this year um, seems to really have come out of an improved shooting percentage, especially from three. Um, his yeah. career, he's he's a 36% guy, and right now he's at 45. So likely yeah, that that number is going to come yeah. down a little bit. But um, we have seen in the past that players do have a tendency in terms of statistics that can improve over a player's career. Shooting percentage is certainly one of them as guys develop a better three point shot, moving from the college to the NBA range. Mm -hmm. You know, there definitely is an adjustment to moving back a few feet. And so a lot of these guys in their first couple of seasons, if they're not, you know, a pure play three point shooter coming out of college, like Buddy Heald, for example, you know, Mikhail Bridges was more of an athlete at Villanova. Mm -hmm. And I think he's learning his shot right now and so if by the end of the season he's still at like 40 percent, that's certainly a positive trajectory on his career and this phoenix suns team has a lot of young talent between booker ayton bridges and then having a veteran presence like chris paul at the helm who led a much worse talent perspective team in okc last year to the playoffs i mean this team has a lot of potential definitely especially if these young guys start playing better throughout the rest of the season as they get used to playing with each other definitely yeah 
I like what Chris Paul's been been able to do for them so far. I, I think I think the Suns are a fun team. One of my favorite teams to watch, besides my Clippers, obviously. But I mean, the Clippers can be really, really not fun to watch sometimes. But man, some great NBA talk. We spent a good good chunk of time talking about it. But you know, my biggest worry is this might none of this stuff might matter. The Lakers might just run the table again because they're that good. They look that good at least. Uh, but we'll see. I, I'm I'm not a Lakers fan, obviously. So I'm hoping that we could we could see some challengers step up to the plate and uh, you know perform well down the stretch we'll see what happens i'm excited for the rest of the year hopefully this covid situation can get handled and under control so that the teams can continue to play we'll see um but before we we jump into the 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 slate of playoff games wanted to quickly just touch the nfl bringing in some new coaches there's going to be a coaching carousel going on this this offseason a lot lot of open vacancies in the uh, nfl head coaching positions the big one this week was urban meyer heading to jacksonville as the new head coach for the jaguars um, a lot of questions here with Jacksonville, but man, Urban Meyer is, is the is the kind of name that really just instantly boosts your credibility. Jacksonville Im- immediately becomes a team that is considered a professional organization and a team that can quickly turn turn this around within the next year or two. And tre- with the combination of Urban Meyer and Trevor Lawrence when they pick him first overall is going to be one that teams are going to have to be w- a little bit worried about. I mean, Jacksonville. You know, it's funny to say this because just a year ago, the Jacksonville Jaguars were a, a brutal, brutal team, brutal organization. And now they got Urban Meyer, Trevor Lawrence. They're turning things around. And Urban Meyer is going to have to build a new culture in Jacksonville. Mike Lombardi was talking a lot about this this week when uh, Urban Meyer went there. He said, you know, Urban Meyer is – you mentioned Jay-Z earlier on the podcast. Mike Lombardi compared Urban Meyer to Jay-Z. And he just has the ultimate ability to – know exactly when and where to come out of retirement. Jay-Z does this consistently throughout his career. You know, I'm out, I'm out, I'm out, and then I'm back in with the with the best album, you know, uh, of the year. And that's going to be Urban Meyer, I think, for the Jacksonville Jaguars. And I thought that was a good comparison because Urban Meyer, you know, two, two years ago when he was coaching at Ohio State, when he lost that last game, he and those and he called it quits and he retired from from Ohio State. It looked like Urban Meyer may have may never come back to coach another another football team. Period. Because the health things, he just did not look right. He just did not look like he was himself, and he didn't look like he was capable of organizing an entire organization. But he, he he's on he's got to be on his Twilight song here. You know, he's, he he's got his last encore, and I think that there's a this is going to be a great place for him because he has a quarterback in Trevor Lawrence. He has a good structure in Jacksonville. I mean, Jacksonville's not that far removed from their playoff appearance with Blake Bortles a few years ago, and I think I think Urban Meyer has his work cut cut out for him. But he's 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 gets a head start with getting that first overall pick and one of the generational talents in Trevor Lawrence. What do you think of and that? If you're, if you're going to come out of retirement and you're going to hop into a new team in a new location, it certainly doesn't hurt to go to Florida and be able to coach and live there. So yes. it kind of makes sense that if you're going to come out of your cushy job behind the TV screen right now, yeah. you know, as an announcer to come yeah. to Jacksonville. And, and what's interesting about coming back as a, as an NFL coach instead of college is, you know, in, in the NFL, you could focus all your sole attention on football. 
and what and how to succeed on the football field um, and player evaluation. But in college, you got to worry about recruiting. You got to be worried about managing college athletes. You got to be worried about all this extra stuff as, that comes with being a college coach and organizing um, an, a, a football program on a college campus. There's a lot more variables with that. So I, I think that the fact that Urban Meyer is able to just focus on you know what he does best, I think that's going to help him. And what's interesting too is this team outside of quarterback has a lot of talent in in their offensive positions when you consider guys like DJ Chark and Keelan Cole and LaVisca Chenault who, yes. who stepped up this year as and well James as James Robinson. Robinson. Yeah. So if you drop a, a yeah, if you drop a quarterback in there who was a potential Heisman candidate multiple years and a guy who was in the college playoffs who has a lot of experience in high pressure games, I think he should have a relatively easy time navigating that division with these receivers. And I think Trevor Lawrence could be in for a good season next year, especially because he is a bit shifty with his feet. And Urban Meyer has a history of coaching running quarterbacks in Ohio State when you consider guys like Braxton Miller, but he's also coached players who have been more stand in the pocket, Dwayne Haskins type players. So I think he'll be able to coach up Trevor Lawrence to the NFL level and utilize these offensive weapons in a manner where the Jags, their offense at least, could be relevant next year. I'm a bit worried about the dismantling of the defense that they did when they shipped off Ramsey and Bouye Mm -hmm. and Campbell. So there's certainly still a lot to work with there but this team is uh some interesting play-doh once urban yeah. meyer can get his hands on him i mean surprisingly enough i think the jacksonville jaguars could be the brightest future team in that afc south division because i mean you got houston with deshaun watson who john watson is a, is a generational quarterback who they're trying to ship out of houston i mean i don't know how how truthful that story is with him wanting to get shipped off to miami but you know that's not good that's not good news that's not good news i mean Houston is got so much dysfunction and corruption in their in their offices that it's it's not encouraging despite having one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL, which is something that so many teams in the NFL would give up, you know, give their an arm and a leg for. And um I I think that I mean Tennessee is is a really good team, but you know, Tannehill is is probably on the back of the backside of his peak, and he's probably, you know, he doesn't really probably have as many years left performing at the level he has. Derrick Henry has had uh, accumulated a workload that is historic, and I don't know how long he'll be able to keep that going. Um, and then in the Colts, they don't have a quarterback right now. I mean, Phil Rivers is probably not coming back next year. They got Brissett. I mean, they'll have to bring in another guy next year, and I will, we'll see how that goes. But, you know, the Colts could be a team that, you know, goes on the downhill with that, without a quarterback in the next couple years. Yeah, and we know that these teams have the best chance at competing when you get a rookie quarterback on a rookie contract for three or four years. It's the most valuable thing in the NFL. And they're a guy who's putting up stats like Justin Herbert or Patrick Mahomes have in the past couple of years. It's extremely valuable because then you can, in the offseason, go up and pay for some big free agent names on defense and, and develop yes. some other positions where, you know, typically the quarterback is the most heavily paid. So yeah. it, it allows some big savings compared to some other teams in the league. Yes, definitely. Uh, other coaching hires around the NFL, Arthur Smith going to Atlanta, I guess. I mean, you know, I kind of liked Raheem Morris in Atlanta. And I guess they wanted to go a different direction, wanted to clean house a little bit. Arthur Smith, I, I, well, I don't know how, I, I don't know much about, you know, how this is going to work out. I, I, I hear I hear decent things about him, but we'll see how that fits in Atlanta. Do you have any thoughts on that one? 
I think the biggest positive in the Arthur Smith hiring is that he's not Dan Quinn. So yeah, next totally. year there'll, there'll be maybe one or two less blown leads and, and blown games. Um, Atlanta's a team every year that seems to be able to compete, but their record doesn't reflect how good of a team they are. I they were, you know I think they were well under 500 this year, but if you look at their their point differential and their average loss, I mean it's it's very small, and they led in most of those games. So Atlanta could be one of those most improved teams next year, and really not be that improved. You know, I could see them having five more wins th- this year than they did last year and have similar offensive and defensive performance. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned Dan Quinn because he, he just went to become the defensive coordinator for the Dallas Cowboys. And, you know, I think that he could succeed in that role. But, you know, the, the Cowboys couldn't get much worse on defense this year. I mean, Mike Nolan as a defensive coordinator in Dallas this year was terrible. So Dan Quinn can only go up. And, and, you know, that's a similar theme with, I mean, the guys like Urban Meyer. I mean, the Jags can only go up from here. So these coaches are getting in. They're buying in low. We'll see if they're able to improve the, the teams that they, they get into. But um, the last guy. I guess is Dan Quinn is uh, out of uh, or out of the Cowboys in two years. And then yeah. my New York Giants will sign him. That way we have Jason Garrett <laughs> and Dan Quinn. Yeah, the clapper and Dan. Oh, my God. That would be so dysfunctional. Um, other guy that got signed on the coaching hire, the coaching hire front, Robert uh, Salah. The, the Jets' new head coach. I, has you know, to be my favorite. I like this one a lot, at least from a culture standpoint. I think he, from all accounts, he's a very, very well-respected individual in the NFL world. And, uh, you know, the first Muslim head coach in the NFL history, really cool to see that. Um, but, you know, he's not an offensive guy. So he's not the kind of guy that you bring in to fix Sam Darnold, which makes you think that they're going to pivot off of Darnold and, and, and draft a new quarterback this this pick, uh, this next pick they had at the second pick overall. I think they're going to look at either Fields or the, the, the young man out of BYU. And we'll see what happens there. Um, I mean, obviously, Fields is probably the guy to go with in that second pick, but uh, it's gonna the, it's gonna rely a heavy responsibility on the guy he brought over with him from San Francisco, Matt Mike Lafleur, Matt Lafleur's brother from the uh, Matt Lafleur, the the coach, the head coach at Green Bay, Michael Lafleur, his brother, gonna be the new offensive coordinator for the Jets, um, going with Salah from uh, San Francisco. So I think that you know it, it the combination of those two guys is, is encouraging. It, it's a good move for the Jets, but um, Salah's not the kind of guy that is going to you know completely remedy your offensive woes because he's a defensive minded coach um so that 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 remains to be seen how that's going to work there but you know culture wise he's a, he's a great coach really nice man and uh, hopefully it works out for him in new york yeah and the thing is this jets defense was pretty underrated this year i can't tell you how many times i ended up putting them in a DraftKings lineup because they were way underpriced just because of the name jets but their defensive line was very good against the run. And when their play calling wasn't absolutely ridiculous, like a no cover Hail Mary defensive coverage by Greg Williams, then mm-hmm. they actually can compete. And they were decent in a few of those games. You know, they beat the Rams near the end of the season. And I think that, you know, Salah will really have this defense firing on all cylinders next year. I wouldn't yeah. be surprised if their defense was one of the top 10 in the league. And in terms of offense, you know, bringing in some fresh young blood and Michael Floor, he's kind of known as an offensive whiz kid and and another one of those guys who is from the tree of, you know, his brother and, and McVeigh and all of yeah. these younger. Yeah, absolutely. And all of these, you know, young offensive guys who, who run this new style of offense. And I think they get rid of Adam Gase, which is great for any team. You know, I, I think that guy is like a minus three in terms of wins if you went no head coach versus actually having him as a head coach. So... 
Yeah, I think the Jets um, actually have a few reasons to be optimistic about their season next year. The Jets and the Jags. Definitely. All right. Let's, uh, without further ado, we're just over 45 minutes into the podcast. Let's finally dive into some of these NFL divisional round playoff matchups because we got we got a great slate of four four games on the docket this weekend, and we're down to the Elite Eight. This is This feels like a good Elite Eight, and I think all these teams belong here. Um, Cleveland obviously being the biggest underdog, the biggest team, the biggest surprise. Um, but you know, Cleveland's offense, man, but they've been stellar, stellar down the stretch and you have to respect that, man. They've been really good. Um, but the first matchup on Saturday, it's at 4:35 PM Eastern start time. We got the Rams today facing off against the green Bay Packers. The Packers are the favorites laying six and a half points. The over under point total 45 and a half Rams are coming off a big upset win against Seattle last week, 30 to 20. Their eighth and weighted DVOA. Green Bay is coming off the bye. For the one seed in the playoffs for the NFC, they finished the regular season on a six-game winning streak. They're fourth. They're uh, ranked fourth in weighted DVOA at the moment. These teams they they haven't faced each other back um, until they haven't faced each other since October twenty eighth, two thousand and eighteen. Uh, the Rams the Rams won that matchup twenty nine to uh, to twenty seven. Do you have any thoughts to, to kick off this this first matchup between the Rams and the, and the Packers? For me, this is this is a, a a closer game than I think some might might you know predict. But what are your what are your thoughts? I love this game. We have you know strength going against strength and weakness going against weakness, and it'll be interesting to see which can prevail. So you know the Rams are the number one defense in terms of points during the regular season, and inversely, the Green Bay Packers were the number one offense yes. in terms of points scored. So it really should it's just a be a matchup. battle of the titans. It's it's Aaron versus Aaron, and yeah. it's going to be awesome to see whether it's going to be Donald or Rodgers, and it's really going to be a clash of the titans there because we might have you know the one of the best quarterbacks of all time going against one of the best defensive linemen of all time yeah and it's going to be really fun and then the, on the other side of the ball we have uh green bay packers defense which is pretty mediocre worse against the run better against the pass jair alexander has been fantastic this season mm-hmm. so a guy that could possibly shut down one of the rams number one wide receivers depending on if cooper cup plays and then the Rams offense, which is playing with without Wolford, he went down with a nasty head injury last week. And Goff has what it, a, a thumb, in his thumb. With, pins in his thumb, pins in his thumb yeah. right now. So it's going to be tough for them to throw the ball. Luckily, you know, they have Cam Akers, who's who the second half of the season has been playing out of this world. And, you know, to foreshadow a little bit, one of our favorite uh, DraftKings plays. So yeah. I'm not sure if the Rams offense, you know, with, with an injured quarterback has enough to keep up with Green Bay. The question is does the defense step up uh and limit yeah. this number one offense so it's do gonna you, be really fun do you recall the last matchup we've seen in the nfl between the number one offense versus the number one defense what did that happen this year 2016 2016 so four years ago yeah. it was the 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 patriots versus the falcons in the super bowl that was the the, the falcons wow. had the number one offense patriots had the number one defense the defense prevailed. Pats won that one. Um, it's a unique matchup. It's only happened 12 times before this one. So this is going to be the 13th time in NFL history that the number one ranked offense in points scored uh, faces the number one defense in points scored all against. There only was the, a Super Bowl where the Broncos were in one. Yes, and I think that, they, that was they 2013. Got wiped too. 2013, yeah. the, the Seattle Seahawks faced uh, the, the Denver Broncos. Seattle won 43-8. to eight. The defense prevailed. Yeah. 
the uh and the, what's the, funny is the broncos that year had a really good offense even though they're typically known as a good defensive team and that was back when it was legion of boom with richard sherman yes, yeah. and all of bobby wagner and all those awesome players yeah. in seattle the uh the one between that was the 2014 super bowl patriots at seahawks uh, the, the New England Patriots won that one, 28 to 24. The Malcolm the Malcolm Butler pick at the end of the game. That that was the Patriots had the number one offense. Seattle was the number one defense. Uh, but before that, there was like a 23 year drought. The Bills against the New York Giants in 1990, and and then 1990 90, uh, 1989, 49ers against the Broncos. This is a unique matchup. This is this doesn't happen often where you get these two really elite in different sides of the football organ and teams, and they're and they're playing very well right now. Both these two teams. Um, the defense has prevailed historically in this type of matchup where they get the number one offense and number one defense. The defense has the edge. They're historically eight and four against the top scoring offenses straight up. So um, only five of the prior 12 matchups of the top O versus top, the top D went over the 45 and a half point total that they have in this game. So um, some interesting stuff to take away from, from these interpretations of, you know, this is not a matchup we see often where you get these, two teams that you know the the this is something that to you i'm really excited to watch this you know i want to see aaron Rodgers versus uh aaron donald and, and the rams defense because the the matchup with jalen ramsey and Devontae adams is going to be interesting i mean um ramsey has allowed just 37 yards per game to opposing receivers six yards per target and he he's not going to negate adams completely but I mean, I don't expect Adams to completely carry this offense like he has um, with Rodgers in, in some some occasions this year. I mean, Rodgers is going to have to look other ways. And so it makes me, it makes me you know, think what other guys does he have available to him? I mean, Robert Tunyon might be a guy to keep an eye on for DFS stuff. I think MVS, it could be some, someone that breaks a big, uh, Marquez Valscan could be someone that breaks a big, a big play a big game maybe a possibly a long touchdown that he's inclined to do from um, from time to time but it uh, this is a tough game to interpret because I, I mean obviously green bay is the favorite in this in this matchup they think that historically uh this is going to go against the historical trend of the the defenses being the offenses but um i think the rams aren't getting enough credit man this defense has been stellar and what you said i mean cam Akers could keep the the Green Bay offense on the sidelines. If the Rams win the time of possession battle, maybe Green Bay doesn't score enough points. You know, maybe maybe the the Rams are able to you know just barely nudge this one out because maybe they're able to run the ball well enough to keep Green Bay on the sidelines, their offense on the sidelines, and um, you know neither of these two teams are are very good on special teams. So my thought is, uh, keep an eye out for a, a special team, a big special teams play because if if a team in this one has a muffed muffed punt or a block punt or a fumble kick return or um something along those lines look for for that to really swing the momentum in this one because that could really be a big a big game changer for the rams yeah and i think what's going to be an x factor for the packers offense is going to be how well their running backs perform in the passing game one of the best, biggest negators of a good pass rush is a good screen game um, where you have an over-aggressive offensive line, which leaves a big gap in the secondary before the second line of coverage. So you're able to get some 10 to 15 chunk yards on, on a screenplay to Aaron Jones or Williams or Dylan. All of these guys can catch the ball out of the backfield. So I think the Packers offense does have the right pieces to be able to maneuver and be successful against yeah. this Rams defense because that not only do they have guys who can win one-on-one matchups, 
depths in those running backs. And obviously Devonta Adams is one of the best route runners, but Tanyan has shown that he can step up in big games. And, you know, he's had three touchdown games and a hundred yards this season, multiple times when teams tend to lock in on the other guy. So, you know, can they get a deep ball to Scantling? Does he make that catch? We saw last week, um, the bears, uh, whims in the, in the end zone dropped a flea flicker that would have been a touchdown. And, you know, those are the types of plays that you can't have happen if you want to win at this level in the playoffs. Yeah. Cause Scantling is one good. of those guys. Yep. Scantling, Scantling is one of those guys who does have a tendency to drop a lot of good passes. I am worried that there could yeah. be some missed opportunities left on the field for the Packers. That's in a good which point. Case that would that would lead the Rams to a victory. Well, there was an article in the Athletic recently this last week that talked about this this trend with the Green Bay Packers because last year Aaron Rodgers missed out on, in missed opportunities with drop passes to receivers more than I think almost anybody in NFL history had ever lost out on. Rodgers last season had a brutal year in terms of his receivers dropping his passes that could have been turned into, I think it was something like 20 touchdowns almost he missed out on. And MVS is highly responsible for a good amount of that. And again, this year, MVS has missed out, I think, on like three or four different touchdown opportunities at least, um, a good dozen or so catches. Uh, it's The trend hasn't gotten worse this year. It's gotten a little bit better in terms of missed opportunities for the Packers, but they're still one of the teams that, you know, miss for as good as this offense is, they miss out on opportunities way too often because Rodgers is amazing. And the, these receivers need to, to play well this year, this week because Devontae Adams can't completely carry the offense like he has in, th- in different matchups because Ramsey, uh, Ramsey Island's for real. That guy, if he if he's on Devontae Adams for 75% of his snaps, it, it, Adams is going to possibly catch a touchdown, possibly, you know, get 50 yards or so. But I, I don't I, I like the under on the on the on the yardage total if it's something around 80 yards, 75 yards. Yeah, I tend to agree. I think I like the under on that. And I probably like the Rams against the spread, but I, I still like the Packers to win this game in the end. Just because it's tough tough to bet against the better quarterback. I think that if it comes down to one possession, Rodgers will be able to lead him down the field and take totally. a field goal. And I, w- I would feel stupid betting the Rams uh, or, or having the Rams. This is the same thing it was last week where the Rams were facing Russell Wilson. Like, if the Rams have a close game with, with you know, two minutes left on the clock and Aaron Rodgers has the football... I'm I'm gonna be hating myself. I mean, why would I pick Jared Goff with a, a swollen thumb with pins in it against Aaron Rodgers, possibly the most talented quarterback we've ever seen? And the thing that has me most worried is the Aaron Donald injury. I know he says he's healthy, but I mean, how healthy can you be with a rib injury? I mean, that's that stuff's painful. And the thing with ribs is it could get worse over the course of a game. So I mean, it's possible we we see Aaron Donald early on play well and then you know later in the second half start to having to miss snaps because of, of the pain that he's having in his rims and then leonard floyd with the concussion he, he's still in concussion protocol he's a questionable game time decision to play this one so that has me worried too because he's very good as well um and then cooper cup with a bursitis yeah, so exactly. a lot of of injuries Question up in marks. the air for yeah absolutely for the rams team and in opposite side you know, the Packers seem pretty healthy across the board in, in terms of their top-level talent. Yeah, the, the big thing here is going to be the time of possession, I think. That's going to be the whoever wins the time of possession battle is going to win this game, I think, because the the Green Bay Packers rank first in time of possession, average time of possession per game this year, 32 um, and a half minutes, just about uh, average time, time of possession, um, excluding overtime. The Rams are second, 32, 32 minutes, 7 seconds average per game so whoever wins the time of possession battle in this one i think is going to going to take the game and i think that if the rams are going to win this game or at least keep it close we're going to need to see a big games at big game out of cam makers 
because Jer- Jared Goff, he just can't lose this one for them. That's going to be the thing. Like the defense and this and the running game for the Rams could bring this one home for them. But Jared Goff just has to stay out of their way. He can't turn the ball over more than one time in this matchup because I feel like it's a given that he's going to throw at least one interception. It just can't be one that costs them completely. It can't cost them a touchdown. Um, but I, I, Green Bay is 25th in takeaways this year. So th- I, that's not that's not great. You know, Green Bay's only had 20 takeaways this season. So Goff, you know, maybe he, maybe he doesn't turn the ball over this one. So we'll see. I think this is a closer matchup than the spread might suggest. Six and a half points is a decent spread in a playoff game like this. And I think that I, I like I like if I have to pick, I like the Rams six and a half. Betting trends in this one, Rams are six and three against the spread in their last nine. Green Bay's four and two against the spread in their last six. The total has gone under in four of Los Angeles's last five games, 11 in their last 14. LA is 0-6 against the spread in their last six games against Green Bay, but they haven't faced each other since 2018, like I said. And Green Bay is 7-2 and against the spread in their last nine January games. And for me, here's my pick. I mean, I think the Rams get a big turnover on special teams or a special team score in this one. I think, like I said, Akers has a big game and keeps the Green Bay offense off the field long enough for the Lambs to at least cover the six-and-a-half point spread. Rams offense is 22nd in points during the regular season. Packers D is 13th. So my pick, Rams plus six-and-a-half under 45-and-a-half point total. Yeah, I lead the same way, but then when we're talking about our playoff brackets, I'll have the Packers moving on just straight up to win this game. Yeah. All right, next matchup, Saturday, 8.15 p.m. start time Eastern. Uh, Baltimore at Buffalo. Buffalo the favorites, two and a half favorite, two and a half points favorites, laying the two and a half points, the over-under point total, 49 and a half. Baltimore coming off of a big win against Tennessee last week, 20 to 13. They are seventh in weighted DVOA. They're on a six-game win streak. Buffalo coming off a hard-fought win over Indy last week. That was a close one. I mean, 27-24, to 24, I believe they won. They're the Buffalo's first in weighted DVOA. They got a seven-game win streak going on right now. The last five matchups between these two teams, Baltimore's been 4-1 they four and one straight up. The last time they faced each other was last year, December 8, 2019. Uh, Baltimore taking four of their last five uh, matchups between these two teams. They're 6-3 and three all-time in this, in this matchup particularly. These are two of the hottest teams in the NFL, uh, and this is one of the more. Uh, I think this is the most unpredictable matchup for me this week. Uh, I like both these two teams. I think the winner of this matchup could very well go on to win the Super Bowl. There, these two teams are that capable, to that that quality, and it's it's going to be a coin flip for me. And that's why I'm I'm tending to stay away from most of my gambling picks on this game because I think both these two teams are playing very well right now. And Buffalo, Buffalo while the, the win last week against Indianapolis wasn't that encouraging, it wasn't that impressive, they showed that they could win a hard-fought game, one that, you know, some of the cards were stacked against them, especially that that, that last drive for the Colts should have ended in a, in a fumbled loss with Pascal dropping that fumble that they called him down on contact. And he was clearly not. He was not down. That was a fumble turnover. Buffalo won the game on that play. But then, they, they, you know, they overcame that. They ended up winning the game in the end. And I think that the Bills showed some grit in that one because they had kind of been cruising into that matchup against the Colts. They hadn't really had that many close games recently. And the Bills showed that they could win a gritty game like that. And But Baltimore really just been one of the hottest teams in the NFL, like I said, just completely dominating a good amount of their opponents late in the regular season. Really played well last week against Tennessee. They went. They got down to the 
the 10 early 10 nothing deficit and then it was all all baltimore after that and lamar jackson running the ball has been his mvp self you know he's still lamar jackson he still is the fastest player on the field at any given moment can break a long run anytime and this is gonna be a really really fun football game what are your thoughts it's super interesting because the the first game we talked about, we had the Packers as the number one offense and the Rams as the number one defense. This mm-hmm. game, the, the Buffalo Bills are the number two offense and the Ravens are the number two defense. So we literally just have like a slightly yeah. downgraded version of the first game. It should be super interesting and super fun to see literally the one of the top two hottest offenses go against this Ravens team that their defense looked fantastic last week in terms of what they were able to do to the Titans and Derrick Henry and completely shut down that offense. And I think that they should be able to do some of the same things that they were able to do last week when you consider the makeup of this roster and you also consider that the Buffalo Bills do not nearly have the same type of running game. I think Josh Allen is going to have to put the team on his back a little bit more in terms of his scrambles if this team is going to be able to get some offensive points. So I think he actually ends up with a rushing touchdown if I had to make a player prop prediction. Um, Baltimore, I think, should be able to move the ball well. They were the number seven offense uh, on the season this year in terms of points scored, and the Bills, um, by every defensive metric, are pretty average. (laughs) To Um, below average. The thing is, this Baltimore offense really did fantastic against bad teams, and they didn't necessarily perform well against good yeah, teams. Yeah, that boosts their totals in the in the end. Absolutely. So their variance is, is very high. Well, the thing so with Baltimore it, is we don't know what kind of team they are because the adversity they faced early on in the, in the middle of the regular season, they had so many, you know... Uh, ex- ex- extenuating circumstances that affected them negatively. I mean, they had the COVID situation. They had a lot of scheduling, tough. I mean, tough scheduling situations. And uh, Baltimore is the only team this week in in the divisional round that is facing a short week. They they played on Sunday last week and they're playing on Saturday this week. They're the only team that gets a six day rest. Yeah, everybody else gets the seven days or the bye. So, um, yeah, the I, I like I like what you said. I think Lamar scores a rushing touchdown. I think that the the key. I, I, is Baltimore's rush game. They're going to keep Buffalo's defense on their heels. Um, Baltimore is the number one rushing rate team this season. Buffalo's defense has allowed, has allowed the ninth highest average yards per play on rushes, 4.6. Um, and the they have also allowed the eighth most first downs, Buffalo on defense, eighth most first down by rushes. They've allowed 125 uh, first down rushing plays. And then you have Marquise Brown, who's really stepped up the second half of the season. I think it's nine straight games uh, with 90 yards or a touchdown. And Dobbins has a touchdown in like seven or eight as well, um, straight games. So to see these younger players start to step up when the team needed it the most in the second half of the season, when it looked like, you know, through the first five or six games, if Ravens were gonna ha- the Ravens were going to have a tough year, they really hit their stride in the right moment, just as the, as the Bills have. I think there should be plenty of offensive scoring. And if either team on offense is going to struggle scoring, I actually think it's more likely to be Buffalo. Yeah. Because of their injuries and because of the defense that they're facing. Exactly. I think that the Baltimore offense is, is the for sure bet for me. So I actually put money on the um... – the Baltimore over point total, 23 and a half. I like that. I think Baltimore is uh, a really a good bet to the offense is going to roll in this one. I think, like I said, the uh, the Buffalo Bills had last week, they had their worst deep 
worst game of the season since week six against Kansas City. They had their worst defensive performance of the year, negative 18.47 expected points added from the Buffalo defense last week. They're not, they, while they were finishing the regular season somewhat strong, the Buffalo the Buffalo defensive front, they really just were very discouraging last week against the Colts. And this Baltimore offense is going to be more of a challenge for them than the Colts were. Yeah, and we saw the impact of having Calais Campbell as a run stopper totally. in the middle of that well defense said. last week. I mean, he just looked incredible, and Derrick Henry could not get going at all. Now, that's not the strength of the Bills, but <laughs> they also are without Zach Moss. So I think Singletary is going to have a tough time running through the tackles. But I think he does perform well in terms of his pass catching. So I think Allen actually will end up with a lot of rushing yards, and Singletary will end up with a lot of receiving yards. Yeah. For me, dude, this game is such such a toss up because I mean, there's so much, there's so many statistics that you know balance both ways. Because I mean, the Ravens are the highest rated blitz team. They've they've blitzed 44.1 percent of the time. But Josh Allen has thrived against opposing defenses who've blitzed him. Blitzed him. The Bills ranked third in expected points added per snap when opponents rushed five or more this season. So I think that it's it's going to be a balance between which. This game, this game could be heavyweights, you know, throwing heavyweight blows back and forth against each other. It could be knockout punch after knockout punch, and I, I'm really looking forward to it. For me, I'm picking the over 49.5 points, and I, if anything, I lean Buffalo minus 2.5 because I, I just think the Bills are, are the best team in the NFL right now or one of the best teams in the NFL. I think they're, li- they're a little bit better than Baltimore, but I, I'm not confident in that pick because, like I said, Baltimore could really come out and show show off their prowess in this game. Yeah, I think this game has has a potential to be very high scoring because of the offensive weapons on both teams. What scares me is that playing this game in January in the Northeast or yeah, the yeah, in the Northeast, the, the weather could ha- certainly have a large impact it's if it gets pretty windy. And both of these teams, you know, they do like running the ball, which could eat a lot of clock time. Well, and if we're eating weather... clock time, the, the over could be dangerous in terms yeah. of, of, of a gambling True. selection. So check in on the weather before the game. We know that in Buffalo, there tends to be a reputation for it to switch on a dime. So that's True. one of those games that if you're going to be betting on, it's worth it because we've seen so many times this year where monsoons just absolutely absolutely crushed a team's ability to score points on both sides. Yeah. From from a schematic or, or who wins this game standpoint, I think that if the weather gets bad, you know, go figure. Lamar's never played in a snowy game, but I think that that would help Baltimore. You would think because they're able, they're able to run the ball better than Buffalo. And if, yeah. they get, if this turns into a ground game, that kind of bodes well for Baltimore's plans. And I... I it it's it remains to be seen. I think there's just a lot of variables with this one, and I'm leaning away from taking a taking a pick on either team because I, I like I said, this game could really go either way. Yeah, I got to be honest. I think the stats are telling me that the Ravens should be favored in this game based on the different game scripts. But how good Josh Allen has been playing this year, yeah. I just don't want to go against one of the hottest guys in the league who even when he's blitzed and out of the pocket, he's able to make these amazing toe touch throws to guys on the sideline. I mean, Geno Davis was the toe tap King last week. And so it just seems like this team has destiny on its side. So whereas my mind totally. and stats are saying, Hey, take the Ravens to the more balanced and better team. My heart honestly lies right with, with the you. bills. And so I probably yeah. stay away. I'm, I'm right probably rooting for the bills and I'm probably staying away. I'm right with you, man. We're stepping, we're, we're stepping step on that one. I, I, I agree. I think the Ravens, are going to be the more consistent team, which is why I'm I'm optimistic about their team over on the on the total twenty three and a half, like I said. But I think the Bills have the higher variance, and I think they could could, could come out with a victory on this one. 
I wouldn't be shocked if the Bills won by 14 or lost by three by any means here. Totally. All right, next matchup. We're rolling to Sunday's games. We got a 3.05 p.m. Eastern start time between the Cleveland Browns and the Kansas City Chiefs. The Chiefs, 10-point favorites, a 57-point over-under total. For me, this is a strange line, but we'll, we'll get into it. Cleveland's coming off of a big upset victory against Pittsburgh, 48-37. to They're 18th in weighted DVOA. They're 7-2 and straight up over the last nine. Kansas City coming off of the bye week and a throwaway game in Week 17 against uh, the loss against the Los Angeles Chargers. They haven't really played a meaningful game since two, uh, December 27th. They're 10-1 straight up in the last 11 games. The last five matchups between these two teams, Kansas City is 4-1 had they had the, the uh, matchup edge. But they haven't faced each other since 2018. So this game for me, look, I, I don't know how you don't take the points here. I think the Cleveland Browns plus 10 is a decent bet. And I, I took the Cleveland Browns plus 6.5 in the first half because I think that there's a, there's a chance that Kansas City comes out a little flat because of, you know they've taken that long hiatus. It's been um, almost, what, 20 days or so, 21 days, three, three weeks about since their last meaningful game in week 16. I think the Browns, you know, they, they had a big win last week. I'm worried about, you know, them, you know, being content with the divisional win. The big That was their big season win last week against the Steelers. That was what they're going to hang their hats on. And if they lost this game by 20, they're by no means going to think that this season was a, was a loss because they already accomplished what they need, needed to as an organization this year. They're not, they don't really have Super Bowl hopes, at least not out. I mean, you, they, they'll tell themselves they do, but they don't. They can't realistically think they're the best team in the NFL this season. Um, and, and the Chiefs, you know, they don't dominate that many games this year. They haven't won that many games by more than 10 points. And I, th- I think that the pl- you, take, you, go, you look at a 10-point spread, this looks like they're giving the Chiefs a, like three points, two and a half points, just because they got Patrick Mahomes and the, the Chiefs are the Chiefs. Yeah, this is only the the tenth time since 1997 where we've had a double-digit favorite in the playoffs, and in those games, the previous nine, it's the underdog who's going eight and one against the spread. Um, so, I mean, clearly there's a large advantage when yeah. there's a double-digit spread and a team has 11 wins going into the playoffs. I mean, the Browns had a great season. You know, by no means are they a bad team. They just beat the Pittsburgh Steelers in the first round. But the Kansas City Chiefs are 4-1 and one against the spread um, in their first playoff game following a, a, a Super Bowl. So, as well, the Chiefs could easily come out. They've been lying dormant, and they might be excited to just come out and pound the Browns, who are the worst defense in the game uh, left left in the season, um, in the playoffs this season. So I could really see it going both ways, but I do like the Browns in terms of the first quarter performance. And then when looking at it, the Chiefs actually do most of their damage in the second and third quarters. What their trend has been on the season is to start slow against these teams. And then they start to pick it up when they realize, all right, now it's time to get, get the ball rolling. And then they kind of cruise in the fourth quarter again, once they've built up their lead and teams tend to close on the spread, which is why they haven't been performing well against the spread. So I definitely like the the Browns in terms of the spread here. And if I were to take the Chiefs, I would take the Chiefs in the second half. Definitely. Well said. The Chiefs are 0-7-1 against the spread over their last eight games. That's a (laughs) the Chiefs are not covering 
they've been heavy favorites in a lot of these games and they're not covering them because they don't dominate games. They just kind of play to the level of their opponents. Like we've said in other podcasts, the Chiefs are a team that kind of, you know, they squeak out wins because they're the Chiefs and they can't. And they don't need Mm -hmm. to completely dominate. But the thing I'm worried about is because of the long hiatus, because that they're so well rested, maybe they just come out and make that big statement win. Maybe they win by, you know, like 30-something points or something. It could be like the Jets game where Tyreek Hill had 300 yards in the first quarter. You yeah. know, this team is healthy. They've been hearing a lot of talk in the first round about other teams, about Aaron Rodgers. <clears throat> I got a frog in my throat. <clears throat> so, yeah, I think I think the Chiefs, I, de- I, I could definitely see the possibility of them laying an egg in the first quarter and just being like, oh, well, you know, we were rested. We weren't totally ready to – we had to play ourselves into shape a little bit this yeah. game. But I could also see Patrick Mahomes just three Hail Marys on the first three possessions to Tyreek Hill all being touchdowns because this Cleveland Browns secondary is very bad. They're one of the worst five in the league. Yeah, this could be something like the last divisional round matchup that the Chiefs had against the Houston Texans last year where they got went they went down early. They were what they were they were down like twenty eight to ten or something like that in the first half. And then they came back and completely de- demolished the, the the Texans in the second half to win that that divisional round matchup last year. I think we could see something similar to that maybe this this week. I think that makes a lot of sense too because the Browns are a really good first half team due to their strength, which is the running backs in Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. And that's also lines up well with the Kansas City defense. Their Kansas City D is a little bit above average in terms of the passing game and below average against the run. And the Browns love to establish the run early. So I think they get Chubb and Hunt going. And I think they have a really good first half. The issue is if the Chiefs, Chiefs get out to a lead, they're going to have to pass from behind, which pushes more into the, the Chiefs' strength. And therefore, I think the Chiefs have a better second line, second half storyline. Totally. Other betting trends in this one, Cleveland's 4-8 and eight against the spread in their last 12 games. The over uh, has gone, uh, the, the total has gone over in five of Cleveland's last seven games. The total's gone over in six of the last nine games between these two teams. The total's gone over in four of Kansas City's last five January games, and it's gone over in five of Cleveland's last seven January games. So a lot of the trends suggest the over, but you know, this point total is so high, 50, it's 57 that's a high point total. And, and, you know, I honestly, if I had to make a pick one way or the other, I, I kind of lean over still. I mean, Cleveland's been no no uh, stranger to really high-scoring games this year. I mean, last week they had the really high-scoring game against Pittsburgh. They had a really high-scoring game against Baltimore. Like, these, this is a team, this is a game that you could see like a 50 to 40 or something like that, or like a 54 to 42 or something like that. And I, I, I think that, you know, this is going to be a really exciting offensive game. I, I I would like to have a good amount of the players in my DFS lamps in this matchup. I think there's going to be a lot of points to be had for DFS purposes. Um, the thing with, with Cleveland, it, it kind of put stacking some cards in their favor. They are getting their coach back. Kevin Stefanski has a big, been a big part of their success this year. He'll be back on the sidelines coaching his first playoff game. And uh, they're getting Johnson and Ward back at cornerback to help their their efforts in to stifle uh, Tyreek Hill, Travis uh, Travis Kelsey, and some of the other chief receivers that they have um, in the secondary. The the Browns are getting healthier there. The a big question mark for the Chiefs. They got Clyde Edwards-Alaire still questionable with the ankle injury, and even if he does suit up, how how well is he, how effective is it going to be with that ankle injury? So that's something to keep an eye on. Maybe if the Chiefs come out get out to a lead. Maybe they have a hard time holding it or at least, you know, sustaining long drives because CEH isn't himself. 
and they have not been able to run the ball well late in the season. The last few games, they have not been running the ball well. So CEH's injury has been a big deal for them. Um, also, if, if you're banking on any turnovers from the Browns, I mean, keep, don't hold your breath because Baker Mayfield has, look at this stat. I mean, one interception in his last 10 games, one interception. He's, in his last seven games, he's got 12 touchdowns and the one pick. He had uh, three games with, with no picks and no interceptions. Those are, those are the bad weather games um, that, they, that Cleveland had earlier in the year. And like you said, I, I, I like the Browns run game. Chubb and Hunt have both big have big games. I think that, you know, this is going to be a good matchup of offenses. Yeah, I, I think I think we're, we're right on where I think the Chiefs end up winning this game. It seems like the Browns should be able to cover a 10-point spread in the divisional round of the playoffs as an 11-win team. And, you know, with without the propensity of a lot of turnovers, um, it's going to be hard for the Chiefs to really help. mount a substantial lead because, you know, turnovers are what typically Get takes blowouts. away possession from the offense and, and puts the other team in good field possession and yeah. it leads to a blowout. The Chiefs really haven't been blowing teams out this year. Yeah. One of the best bets I heard from the hitman at pro handicapper at pregame.com. I thought this was a decent handicap. Uh, he likes the Kansas City Chiefs point total over 33 and a half. And this has been, a, I, I did not see good odds on this. I think it was like minus, minus 140 or so in my gambling site. But if you take away the three bad weather games for Cleveland, the, that's the Philadelphia uh, Eagles, the Houston Texans, and the Las Vegas Raiders games those are the three bad weather games that cleveland had where the wind was just atrocious and and in cleveland and they couldn't get any offense offensive play in those games cleveland has had a season this year that if you take away those games and the turnovers that uh, they've gotten on defense just because of the randomness of turnovers and you could you could you know take take out you know too much interpretation out of that but uh the browns have fared well this year in turn in turnover differential they're plus five um the browns defense if you take away turnovers and those three games they and uh, they rank second worst in points allowed per drive in 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 on defense and so the defense for the browns is not good and this the, the hitman is heavy on on the chiefs point total over i like that trend i i think that this is gonna be a high scoring game yeah, but I think people will see that in a, in a couple of minutes when we read off our, our DFS lineups that we really think the Chiefs will have some success on offense. They were the number six scoring offense on the season. But if you get a little bit deeper into the advanced metrics, um, this team was number one in passing yards and number two in terms of interceptions as well. So, I mean, they're extremely efficient and they don't turn the ball over. You know, the number two in terms of completions and three in terms of attempts. So the completion percentage is very high. It all makes sense when you have Patrick Mahomes as the quarterback. But the reason I bring into the to um, the conversation the point total is because they typically don't have to blow teams out during the regular season and they're able to take their foot off the gas pedal. Well, this is the playoffs. And in the playoffs, there is no taking your foot off the gas pedal. Nothing is guaranteed. You stomp out your opponent when you get the chance. We've seen that in previous seasons when we're talking about some huge blowouts by big offenses. So if there is blowout potential, it's certainly on the Chiefs' side. Well said. All right, let's roll into the next matchup, the last one of the divisional round. we got a Sunday, 6.40 p.m. Eastern start time. Tampa Bay Buccaneers taking on the New Orleans Saints. The Saints are the favorites, laying three points. The over-under point total is 52. Tampa Bay is coming off of the win against Washington last week, 31-23. to They are currently weighted third in weighted DVOA. New Orleans is coming off that dominating win against Chicago last week, 21-9. to And they're uh, second in weighted DVOA right now coming to this one. The last five matchups, New Orleans has won them all, including two this season, 38-3 30, on November 8th and 
34 to 23 in week one, September 13th for the New Orleans Saints. Um, this is, for me, this is one that, you know, I, I want to root for Tampa Bay, but I don't like their chances in this one. I think the Saints win this game. And you look at uh, matchups this year, they haven't had many, where you get Breeze, Kamara, and Michael Thomas all in the same game. And it's only happened three times this year. And two of them were the Tampa Bay games, week one and week nine. And they dominated both those games early on this year. Um, the other one was last week against Chicago. And you saw how well they played last week. And that 21-9 to 9 sk- uh, score isn't even indicative how, of how dominating of a performance they had with the, uh, the, the that one-handed catch at the end of regulation for Jimmy Graham was incredible. That might have been his last play of, of his career. And that catch was awesome for Chicago. But um, that aside, New Orleans is eight one and one against the spread in their last ten games. So they're being they're uh, been winning a lot of gamblers' money to close out this uh, the last few weeks, last ten games. Tampa Bay is four and two against the spread in their last six. Tampa Bay has won each of their last six road games straight up. Uh, the matchups between these two teams in New Orleans have gone over in four of the last five. So when these two teams play each other in New Orleans. Last five games have gone over. Four of the last five have gone over. Um, the total has gone under, though, in seven of New Orleans' last ten games. So take that um, in, into consideration as well. Any thoughts on this one, Connor? It, it This is the third matchup we're getting this year. And, I don't know, I just always feel like it's so difficult to beat a team three times in one year, especially a really good team. And if you're going to tell me that Tom Brady gets beat three times in one season – by the same team i'd be pretty surprised but if you're telling me it was the new orleans saints drew Brees, and sean payton well that makes a little bit more sense this is a really tough game to call it's going to be a really close game and it's a battle of two historic quarterbacks i i'm leaning the bucks because it just seems like they're a momentum team and they have a lot of momentum riding behind them right now in terms of the two quarterbacks and who's playing better, I certainly have more confidence in Tom Brady. I don't think he is as likely to have a blow-up game, whereas Drew Brees, his ball has not been coming out uh, nearly as well. He's not being able to push the ball deep down the field. So I think they're going to have to heavily rely on Alvin Kamara and the defense for New Orleans to be able to step up and, and stop um, stop Tampa Bay because Tampa Bay's weakness on defense is certainly the pass game. And it's not like Drew Brees is going to be, you know, tossing the ball all over the field. Um, I expect Alvin Kamara to do most of his damage actually through the air because the the Bucks, while they are the number one against the rush in terms of rush yards, um, they're uh, one of the worst teams against running backs catching passes. So there is a little bit of an advantage there um, for New Orleans, but overall, I I lean the Bucks actually. Yeah, there's a lot of interesting matchups in this game. Starting off with Lattimore versus Mike Evans. I mean, you look at that matchup and how it's gone this year. Uh, Lattimore's covered Mike Evans on 65% of his routes when they face each other this year. On those routes, Mike Evans has four targets and zero catches. So Lattimore has completely eliminated Mike Evans when he faces him. And uh, we'll keep an eye on that. Tristan Wirfs, the elite offensive tackle for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, he, uh, his blocking stats this year have been incredible. 698 snaps, just one sack allowed. He'll be facing off against the elite pass rusher in Cam Jordan for the New Orleans Saints. So that's another matchup to keep an eye on in the trenches. And then you look at what Tom Brady succeeded at this season. I mean, he's, he's completed... F- 
he leads the league in, in passes over 20 plus yards this year. He's completed 40 of them. He's he he completely uh demolished that that narrative last year that Brady can't throw the ball deep. He has the receivers to do it this season and he's shown it. 40 completions of 20 yards or more this year for Brady. That's incredible. I mean, the man is 43 years old doing what I don't think any other 43-year-old on this planet could possibly consider. And But the thing is with Brady, you look at his matchups against the Saints this season, PFF grades, and I know that we don't necessarily love PFF, but these, some of these stats for PFF, they do do a decent job at analyzing play-to-play and, and, and grades of how players perform against specific matchups. Brady against the Saints this year, PFF grades him 67.4. All other teams, Brady, all other games this year, Brady has a, a, a 93.1 PFF grade. So there's a big there's a big difference in these two numbers. And Brady has struggled this year against the Saints. And we'll see how that works. I mean, you talked about Brees possibly struggling against this Bucks defense. But, you know, the Bucks defense plays a lot of zone coverage. And Brees does really well against zone coverage. Brees ranked 8th in expected points added per play against zone plays, uh, zone coverages during the regular season. And um, last week, the Saints were 11 for 13 on third down against Chicago. They absolutely dominated that game. The Saints are rolling it hot against the Bucks this week. And, and you know, with how good the offense kind of looked against Washington last week, we didn't expect it really out of, out of Tampa Bay because Washington's defense was so good rolling into that matchup against them. And, and the offense for Tampa Bay looked pretty good. And the thing that was discouraging was how good the Washington offense looked. And Heineke dominated that that Tampa Bay defense. And I don't know how, I mean, how, how, how much do you trust Heineke? I know, you know, it was a gutty performance, a really impressive performance out of him, but I mean, how much of that was, you know, Tampa Bay not doing enough to, to stifle him. And we'll see what, what happens. I think this is a great matchup between the two. Um, I am a little bit worried about Ronald Jones. I don't think Len, with how much I want to think Leonard Fournette is a good running back. He's, he's not having a good season at least not compared to Ronald Jones. Ronald Jones has been the guy that really has forefronted the Tampa Bay rushing attack. With Ronald Jones getting COVID, he had the ankle problem, and now he's he's questionable with the quad injury. I don't know that he plays in this one. It's really tough for Tampa Bay's rushing attack. Yeah, it, that was hard to hear, a really late scratch last week. Um, one thing to note, both games um, against New Orleans earlier in the year, so obviously the first game, uh, Tampa Bay did not have Antonio Brown on the team. And the second time they played was only Antonio Brown's first game. So obviously Brady and, and AB had not, you know, had much of a rapport. Antonio was on the, on the field for only a few plays and he only knew a small amount of the route tree. Um, We've seen his performance really pick up in the last four or five games of the year. And so he could be an X factor. So when you're telling me, Oh no, they, they might shut down Mike Evans. Well, they also have two other top 15 wide receivers um, that they can pass the ball to in terms of Chris Godwin and Antonio Brown. Godwin's also been playing fantastic the past couple of weeks. So I really do expect um, both of those guys to step up. I do think that based on historical performance, Mike Evans probably has a little bit worse of a game. I also think that we can expect Tom Brady to perform better than he did in, in both previous New Orleans games because of the AD factor and the rapport that both of them have been uh, seeing with each other. Yeah. This is a fun game, a really fun game. And, you know, we got four really, really good games. I think this one might be the closest one for me. This one is very, very close matchup. I know the Baltimore-Buffalo game is another one, too, that is just super unpredictable for me. I have no idea who's going to win either of those two games. But this one for me, 
I'm going to root Tampa Bay because I really want to see Brady Rodgers in the next ma- in the next round. I really I want to see Brady, the greatest quarterback of all time, face against Rodgers, who is possibly the greatest talent at quarterback of all time. I know Patrick Mahomes is making a case for that in his right, but he's still young in his career. Rodgers has done it, you know, consistently over the last decade or so, and so. I really, I really want that. I want that matchup so bad. So I'm really hoping for that. I have Tampa Bay in my bracket for the ATA bracket. So I need Tampa Bay to advance on this one. Um, I was hoping that, I was kind of hoping that Seattle would have won the game last last week against the Rams. Even though I picked the Rams and I, I, I like the Rams and and I, they're kind of my favorite team that's left in this this uh, playoff round. But the uh, the the Brady Rogers matchup is what I'm aching for. I want that so bad. <laughs> I want it so bad. In terms of both of their um, career history and how well they're playing right now, currently, that's going to be an awesome matchup. I think the reason we're not quite as excited about Breeze is because it does seem like he's had a, a large decline this year, and a lot of that is, is due to his health. You know, when you consider all the ribs he broke and the fact that he's still clearly recovering and. And so he, he's been having a tougher time this year um, with his strength and, and the ability to drive the ball down the field. A Rodgers-Brady matchup, though, that would be just fireworks. Yeah. If anything, like, I, I picked Tampa Bay on a money line just because I, I, I want to root for them. And, and mm-hmm. I would like that. But um, the Bucks are just so high variance. They're, they're worse than the league this year in variance. They're 32nd. They have a 21.4% variance rate uh, in DVOA rankings, and that's that's well well over the second place team. And the Tampa Bay Buccaneers yeah. have had so many uh, peaks and valleys this year. We're, we'll have to see what team shows up on on Sunday night. And this game, from a serious gambling perspective, is just a complete stay away because it's very unpredictable. Um, but like I said, if anything, I want I want to root the Bucks, and I want to take the money line. All right. Let's roll into our final segment of the podcast. Let's t- talk about a little DFS. We, uh, I think we have some good DFS lineups this week. I'm excited for our, our opportunity to cash in on some great lineups. Let's start off with the quarterback position for our DFS well, lineups. Before we before we jump into this week, I just want to give a brief recap on Sorry, last yes, week. So of course. The, the playoffs are always a little bit of a different um, animal because we're, we're talking about a limited number of, um, of games. So you actually need to have a bit higher performance in terms of your total outcome uh, just because there's less players to select from. So easier to select the right players. And last week, Ben, we did it again. We selected the right players. You put up 151 points. I put up 155 both of us were in the money. Uh, we relied heavily on Josh Allen, who got us 35 points. Cam Akers was the deal of the week. He was only $5,100, and he came in with 29 points. So both of those guys really just led us to victory. And we also had um, Deontay Johnson in both of our lineups, who had 26. So we really nailed the right guys last week. We contributed to another positive week in terms of our average on the season, and we're hitting right about 68% of the time. So we're uh, – we're kind of playing like the Bills right now where the last seven <laughs> games we have the momentum and and I think uh this week I feel even better about my lineup this week than last. Yeah, pat yourself on the back, big buddy. <laughs> All right, man. I'm let's... patting you too. Patting you too. <laughs> let's roll into our, our selections this week. I like them. I, I, I like your I like your thoughts and on TFS. I think we have similar ones this week. And uh I, I think the trends will show what what we're what we're thinking in DFS in terms of our best values for the week. But let's start off at the quarterback position. Who'd you go with? 
Yeah, so as we talked about in terms of the the game breakdowns, we really like the Chiefs. Uh, their over-under is the highest of the week in implied point total. So for the first time this season, I'm actually putting Patrick Mahomes into my lineup. Again, the limited slate makes it harder to find a value play. So I actually do think it's worth, uh, worth it in this case to pay up for Big Pat. Totally. I don't know how you could go wrong with that. If you could afford the eight grand there, but Patrick Mahomes is an animal. For me, I went with Josh Allen. I Josh Allen has been, the, he was the number one fantasy quarterback during the regular season in terms of points scored. And he kept it going last week against Indianapolis. We relied heavily on his points last week in our DFS lineups. And I look for him to keep it going this week. I think, I think he has another good game against Baltimore. I know Baltimore's defense is keeping this price point a little bit low. I think he's priced about the same, same way what he was last week, $7,400, but he he's priced under Mahomes and under Jackson. He's $600 cheaper than Mahomes and he's $200 cheaper than Jackson. I, I think the value here is in Josh Allen and Josh Allen's going to keep it going. The guy could score rushing touchdowns and without Zach Moss, I think, like you said, I think they rely on him a little bit more in the rushing attack. And I, I, man, the throws that Josh Allen is making, the accuracy improvement that he made from the last year to this year is incredible. It's historic the way he's improved, he's improved his, his accuracy, especially on deep balls. Josh Allen is doing things that, you know, NFL quarterbacks dream of. And I think that he's going to be a big reason why Buffalo succeeds going forward in this postseason if they're going to succeed. I think Josh Allen is in, good, in store for a good game this week against Baltimore. Yeah, Josh Allen's going to crush. He's, he's going to get a rushing touchdown too, which is always more valuable than a passing touchdown in DFS. So Yeah. Other quarterbacks just to consider, you know, I, I re- with, with just four games, eight quarterbacks um, as your options. Jared Goff being one of them. No one, no one pick Jared Goff. Please do not pick Jared Goff. You're going you're to be in store for a bad, a bad day. Um, but for me, it, the, the options were Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, if you want to pay up for that, Josh Allen, or look at this. I mean, Baker Mayfield. That was my other pick because, I mean, Rodgers is facing the best defense in the NFL. I don't love that matchup, obviously. So the other value was for me was Baker Mayfield because we talked about how we expect a lot of points in this game. Kansas City Chiefs have, have allowed the 30th most points scored against opposing quarterbacks this year. And Baker Mayfield has, like I said, not turning the ball over. Only one interception in his last 10 games. I think that he could be a, a good fantasy value this week. So if you're trying to, you know, spend down, save money at the quarterback position, he's only fifty three hundred dollars. He's two thousand twenty one hundred dollars cheaper than Josh Allen. And so if you want to save money in the quarterback position, Baker Mayfield could be your guy. Yeah, and then that leads us into the running back position, where I think, you know, both Cleveland running backs are also great values, um, especially if if you're talking a correlation and you think the game line is that the Chiefs get out big, um, then you kind of want to have Baker and probably Kareem Hunt, who's more of the pass catching back, and Hunt's only forty eight hundred too. So if you get both you of those guys into your lineup. Week. You can easily pay up for the top running backs on the slate and the top wide receivers. You can, you can get Adams and Diggs into your lineup or Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey if you spend down in those areas. And yeah, Kareem Hunt, two touchdowns last week, looked fantastic and somehow his price is under 5K. It, it's unbelievable. Totally. Yep. Who'd you go with in your running back position? So in my running back, uh, I actually went for Nick Chubb. I think he's a little bit safer in terms of a play because of his uh, carry totals. The volume certainty is higher than than Tunt's. Yeah, we know he's going to get a little bit more in the rushing game and and probably a bit of a better bet for a rushing touchdown in this game. And I think he's able to really exploit the Chiefs' weakness on the ground. And he's only 6,600. I mean, this guy's an absolute rock star coming in at 6,600. 
averaging 88 yards per game with 13 touchdowns. And he was also playing in a limited season, you know, missed five or six weeks with, with the uh, leg injury. So love Nick Chubb. Totally. Yep. I went with Cam Akers in my, in my RB one spot. He was $5,100 last week, $5,700 this week, just still not, not expensive enough because Cam Akers, it could be the number one scoring running back on the week this week. And 28 carries last week, 130 yards, and he's still under six grand. Yeah, Unbelievable. insane. I mean, Cam Akers is going to be a borderline first-round pick next year in fantasy drafts. I mean, he should be at least a second-round pick, and he, he's going to lead this Rams rushing attack again in this matchup against Green Bay. And like we said, Jared Goff is not going to be someone that they're going to be able to depend on. It's going to be all on the shoulders of the young Cam Akers. We'll see how that goes. I, I like his opportunity for a big game against Green Bay. I think then, he's in line for 30 touches and, and for yeah. exactly the same reasons you have him in your lineup. He's my RB too. I was able to slide him in uh, for 5,700 in, you know, this is another plus matchup. Green Bay's weakness is in their rushing defense. They have a better passing defense. And so, yeah, like you mentioned, you have an injured Cooper cup, you have an injured Jared Goff. They're not going to be able to lean on this passing game. Acres is in store for a huge volume day. And I think he should be able to be productive um, when you're talking about the defense he's facing as well. Totally. And then I went with Kareem Hunt for the reasons that you were talking about. I think Kareem Hunt's just too too good of a value at forty eight hundred dollars. I I like I like Kareem Hunt's opportunity this week for I mean the points the points scored in this Chiefs Cleveland game is gonna be big. I, I like I like Kareem Hunt for that value. I mean the guy's been a fantasy he carried me to a fantasy championship this year. I know he had some down weeks late in the season, but you know, I was able to win a good amount of my games this season because of Kareem Hunt. So uh, I'm, I'm going to show him a little love in the divisional round. I'll pick him into my in my RB2 spot for my DFS lineup this week. Yeah, I think at running back, the, the amount of value that exists, I mean, the, the prices were just not nearly high enough on these guys where you could easily get great values on both of, the, of those players could end up being the number one running back on the week. So I don't think it's a position where you necessarily need to spend up. And, you know, typically you need to get a Jonathan Taylor, Derek Henry, Kamara to be able to be competitive. And I just don't think you need to do that this week because yeah. of how cheap those guys are. Especially because Kamara's the easily the most expensive running back this week, $7,900, $1,100 more than the next expensive running back in Aaron Jones. And he's got a really tough matchup against the Tampa Bay defensive front. Tampa Bay is only allowed the second second most points to um, opposing running backs this year. And Kamara, I mean, he, he's an animal in his own right. He's a really good player, but $1,100 more expensive than the next guy. I, I'm not, yeah. I, I don't want to pay for that. And I'm not paying up for Aaron Jones, who's going against the number one rushing defense as yeah. well, and in, in that defensive line in the Rams. So, yeah. So really, the value here is in these tertiary guys that you're looking at on these price points. I think that um, really, besides the guys that we named, I mean, maybe I'm actually considering J.K. Dobbins for six thousand. I mean, I think like we said, Buffalo's rushing defense is not scary. J.K. Dobbins and, and the Baltimore rushing attack is going to need to be their their uh, bread and butter this week to beat the Buffalo Bills. They're going to need to keep the Buffalo Bills offense on the sidelines by running the ball, keeping the clock moving. J.K. Dobbins and Lamar Jackson could be running for a lot of yards this week. Uh, any yeah, other running backs? Dobbins, a, a guy I think we mentioned earlier, a touchdown in like six or seven straight games. He's just on a roll. And so that floor is so high. Um, but last game, he only had nine carries. So a uh, very volume-dependent player who, yeah. with with Gus Edwards, Mark Ingram, and exactly. Lamar Jackson Gus- all running the balls, uh, it, it does leave a little bit less volume for him. So I do prefer the guys we already have in our lineups. Yeah, if you're looking at dart throws, because really when you have – 
so many few options in your DFS. You got to consider players that aren't going to be popular picks in DFS. And so you're looking at some of these lower guys like Gus Edwards, um, Devin Singletary Devin is Singletary, interesting. Zach um, you also have, I mean, if, if if Latavius Murray suits up, he's questionable. Guys like this, like they're they're they have a good chance to score. They have a good chance to to score a touchdown. If you get a guy that is in less than like ten percent of DFS lineups who scores a touchdown for you, that's big. That that boosts your comparative point total pretty high. And so those are options that to consider when you're playing in tournament plays. You know, you got to separate yourself from your competition and picking guys that aren't going to be popular picks is is something that you got to consider because guys like I mean the guys some of the guys that we're picking are going to be some of the most popular plays this week. And so. Let's roll into our wide receiver our wide receiver games because my number one guy Tyreek Hill is going to be the po- most popular play in DFS, and so I'm, I'm I'm picking him because I think he's the most valuable receiver bar none this week because a lot of these these top guys have tough matchups this week. Tyreek Hill for eight thousand dollars, I was more than willing to pay up for that because Tyreek Hill and his opportunity this week to score a lot of points for the Kansas City Chiefs against this very porous, very you know lackluster Cleveland defense. It is just an opportunity I could not pass up, and so I don't want to. I don't want to pass up on Tyreek Hill and then have all my competition pass me because you know I, I was too stubborn to not get the best wide receiver this week into my lineup. Yeah, when we were talking about how there were no necessarily top end smash plays at running back, I think it's completely opposite here. I think Tyreek Hill is by far um, just so easily the the top guy, and I think it does make sense to pay up for him just because of the matchup and. I think that he has the potential to have the the highest score of the week out of any player. And so to be able to put that in my lineup is, is very important, especially if you're talking about cash game where, okay, he's going to be highly owned. Well, you're going to be um, highly impacted then if you don't have him and he has a big game. And I think his big game potential is huge. Yes. Is that who you want with in your, in your wide receiver one spot as well? Yep. So just like you, I'm 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 going with Tyreek Hill, and he's a perfect stack with my my Patrick Mahomes quarterback. Yep. The, the correlation between them both performing well at the same time is very high. And so if Tyreek Hill has a big game, Patrick Mahomes probably also having a big game. Yeah. Who'd you go with? You wide receiver two spot. Wide receiver two. I'm going with uh, the guy I I talked about a little bit earlier. Uh, I'm going with Antonio Brown. I had mentioned I like how it. he hasn't played much against the Saints. Missed the first game was his first game of the season. Second time around, so I think they're going to be able to scheme him a lot more. And the Saints won't have quite the like same this. defensive tape and understanding of the matchups and how he's going to fit into this game plan against the Saints D. I think Lattimore locks up Evans like he has done in the past, and it comes down to A. B. and God who are going to be able to move the ball. Ronald Jones is out. Fournette has not been nearly as effective as we would have liked, uh, still getting a lot of touchdowns. So Fournette might, might be a decent flex option if you're trying to pay down if Ronald Jones ends up being marked out. But yeah, I really like Antonio Brown to be one of the top options on the Tampa Bay Bucks offense today. I like that one. I, I, Antonio Brown is a good play for me Tomorrow, this week. Sorry. <laughs> the, uh, my wide receiver too, I went with Robert Woods. Um, I, I think Robert Woods could be in store for a good game. While he's going to likely draw a good amount of Jair Alexander in the secondary, I just think Woods is, is someone who's very elusive and very sure-handed. He's not going to drop a lot of passes. I think that Goff is going to have to rely heavily on him. I, I look for Woods to maybe have a play or two run for him on the on the jet sweeps on a touch pass or, or, or a screen pass. I think that Woods is going to be heavily involved in how the Rams are going to have to move the football because I don't know how well they're going to be able to stretch the field on Green Bay. 
So it's going to be a lot of running plays, a lot of short passes. I like Robert Woods' chances for a good game and a lot of, a lot of receptions in this game against Green Bay, especially in a PPR format. I think Woods priced at $5,900. I mean, you look at some of these guys that are priced ahead of him. I, I thought that was just too good of a value for me. I mean, Mike Evans is, like I said, gets dominated completely, you know, washed off the field with, when he's facing Marky, uh, Marcus Lattimore. And so... I just I think that Robert Woods for fifty nine hundred I was more than willing to pay that and especially with the Cooper Cup injury like we said bursitis that's not something that just goes away so if anything even if Cooper Cup suits up he might be just more of a distraction to help Woods get some more work. Yeah, you're absolutely right in the in the way he's going to get the ball. The the Rams always scheme up interesting plays on, on the sweeps and the tap passes, and so they're going to manufacture ways to get the ball into Woods' hands, especially with Cooper Cup injured. Both of those guys are, you know, some of the best in terms of yards after the catch. So I'm not too worried about the coverage being on him because I think that they're going to be able to get them the ball early and around the line of scrimmage. And they're going to let Robert Woods do his work after the catch. I could see him having double digit targets and probably a low, lower yardage total, probably around 90 to hundred yards. So it's not going to be like, you know, 20, 30 yard plays. It's going to be a lot of seven, eight yard catches just because of the limitations of golf and his injury, as well as the, the defense and, and how they're going to scheme. Definitely. Who'd you go with wide receiver three? Wide receiver three, I'm going for that high potential option. I'm going with Marquise Brown. Um, is he related to Antonio Brown? Are they like second no. cousins? Oh, they're, yeah, they're like cousins or something. Like that. You're right. Yeah, they're, they're yeah so cousins. I'm going with the, the Brown team again. Uh, and I mean, last week he was fantastic. Seven for 109. The week before that, he caught two touchdowns. So a guy who is getting a lot more looks in this offense. Lamar has been looking better and looking his way often and just needs one, um, one deep ball to make it worth your while for only 5,200 as my wide receiver three, I'm willing to take a bit more of a chance there. Um, so all three of the guys I have all big, uh, big play potential wide receivers and Tyreek Hill, Antonio Brown and Marquise Brown. So I'm really loving my ceiling with this lineup. All right, Brown town. Let's go into my my wide receiver three spot. I got Markavis Valdez Scanling, thirty eight hundred dollars. MVS is the kind of guy that takes one play. It takes one pass. It takes one eighty yard touchdown to literally just save your entire game. And he's the kind of guy that isn't going to be in a ton of fantasy lineups. He's facing a really good defense in the Los Angeles Rams. So he'll probably draw a good amount of Darius Williams, who is a very excellent cornerback for the Los Angeles Rams. Um, the guy who had the pick six last week against the uh, Seattle Seahawks. He had that great play where he anticipated the screen pass, took that one to the house for the Rams. But Marquez Valdez-Scanley is like we saw the Rams last week have a tendency to to uh, lack, lack on the deep ball in, in anticipation of the shorter routes. And MVS is someone who stretches the field for Rodgers and someone that, you know, is not unfamiliar with those deep balls. And so while he is someone that drops a good amount of passes and misses a lot of good opportunities. He's also someone that gets a lot of opportunities. It's something to be said about, you know, the fact that he's missed out on a good amount of plays. It, it means that Rodgers has looked his way for them. You know, it's someone that he gets an opportunity to score those long touchdowns. And so for just $3,800, it allowed me to fit in some other talent around my roster and someone who could be my highest. Honestly, he could score more than any other wide receiver I have in my lineup. And that's something to be said with Tyreek Hill there, but you know, MVS could be someone that scores something around 25 points or something like that. He catches a long touchdown. He could, he could be someone that scores like a hundred yards and a touchdown. And that's something you, that is not easily found for just $3,800 in your wide receiver three spot. 
yeah, I wouldn't be shocked if, you know, if Rodgers starts to see the Rams creep up and play a bit more aggressive in terms of trying to get an interception, he's going to run a double move with Marquez and try to get behind that defense. And he'll take probably two or three deep shots. And one of them will go Marquez uh, Valdez-Scantling's way. At least the question is, does he catch it? Definitely. Other wide receiver values on the week, you know, besides these top guys, I'm, I'm considering – um, you know, Michael Thomas is someone that, you know, you would think maybe has a decent matchup. Tampa Bay allowing the 25th most points to opposing uh, wide receivers. But, you know, Michael Thomas, we haven't seen him be his vintage self yet this year. And so is this the week that we see it? You know, it's a gamble. He probably is someone that if you, you're only paying $6,700 for him, he's a lot cheaper than a guy like Devontae Adams or uh, Tyreek Hill that we both uh, have in our lineup in Hill. Um, Thomas could be the leading receiver this week, and that's a possibility. So for just $6,700, maybe you differentiate yourself from your competition by getting him in your lineup. He could be the wide receiver one of the week. So that's a possibility. Uh, Mike Evans is not someone I'm looking at. Chris Godwin's the guy that I would be considering um, besides Antonio Brown, the guy that you had. I like Godwin at $6,100. I think he's a good play, but that's priced about right where I have him. I don't think there's as much value for Godwin for me. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, what's interesting with Michael Thomas is last week was actually his first touchdown of the season, if you can believe that. Yeah, uh, I think he, he played in about seven or eight games this year, a guy I traded for early on in fantasy. So uh, it's definitely a little pain for me. Um, I do like Diggs. I don't think his ownership uh, will be nearly as high. So if you're talking about a tournament play, Adams and Diggs are good ways to get off of Tyreek Hill and differentiate yourself because these are probably going to be two of the lowest ownership weeks you're going to find for both of those guys. Um, if you're taking into consideration the smaller field once again, but uh, they're both in more negative matchups. So less obvious plays. Yeah. I think in cash, you want to play safe and go with Hill, but I don't mind spreading those guys in. Um, and then, Cole Beasley and John Brown are both sub five. And if we think the Bills and, and Josh Davis Allen too. are good plays. Yep. So it, it's tough to predict between those three, which one will be the guy because, you know, John Brown goose egg last week, Beasley was injured, but still caught seven I, passes. I'm curious to see if Allen rewards Davis for just those two stellar catches he had last week. Right. I wonder if he starts becoming more involved in that passing attack. The, the issue I see with Davis coming in at 4,000, um, his highest catch total in, in any week this season was only five. Yeah. Um, so last week he had four catches, two of them being extremely unlikely and improbable. It was actually incredible that he got those toe touches down. So if he doesn't get those, you can chop 60 yards off of his total in two catches, and he's down for two for 20 last week. Yeah, that's a risky so, play, no doubt. I think I probably lean Beasley. Um, yeah, definitely. As my I second like option. But Brown, I think, could be a good play because I think he'll be a very low ownership option again in tournaments due to the fact that he bageled last week. And guys do not love putting a bagel in their roster. So I, if John Brown catches four or five for under 5K, he could easily be worth it and a good differentiator. Would you consider any Cleveland Browns receivers this week? I mean, considering what we're expecting a lot of points from from this matchup between the Browns and the, and the Chiefs, the Chiefs secondary has been pretty good this year. I mean, they're allowing just the second most uh, points to opposing wide receivers. Their defense has. Higgins is a guy that you keep an eye on. Jarvis Landry is someone who's not unfamiliar with some good games here and there. Donovan Peoples-Jones. I mean, those are guys I'm going to consider. At least, I mean, just because they're not going to be, you know, rostered in a ton of DFS lamps, you could, like we said, differentiate yourself from your competition that way. 
Yeah, I certainly don't mind a couple of those wide receivers, but I think the strength of the Kansas City defense is on the outside. And then they also have Tieran Matthew in the in uh, playing deep, and, and he is all over the field. You know, the honey badger makes a lot of problems for quarterbacks. So what I actually like in terms of pass catchers on Cleveland, and this is a good segue into my tight end position, is Austin Hooper this week. He's only 3,800, and the Chiefs are the 31st in terms of fantasy points given up to the tight end. So it's really them in Baltimore. I mean, them in Buffalo who are really bad against the tight end. So Andrews and Hooper both make a good play. But Hooper specifically, um, if you look at his game logs, he's got three touchdowns in the past four games. And each four of his past four games are um, actually double-digit points. So when you're talking about that type of consistency from a tight end, that's fantastic. Yeah. And he he also just makes a great value at 3,800. He's getting that's who you're going with here, tight end position, correct? For his tight end position. Yep. So I'm going with Austin Hooper there at tight end. Gotcha. Uh, yeah, I went with Hooper in my flex just to foreshadow there then because I, I mean, like I said, I like Hooper this week as an opportunity to score a touchdown. I think that, like we said, this is gonna be a lot of points. I think Hooper is the receiver to, to target for for the Cleveland Browns. But you know, like I got like I said, I, I put Hooper in my flex because I got a two tight end lineup. My tight end this week. Is Travis Kelsey, and I, 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 like I said, I, I'm heavy on this game on the points. I think Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill are in store for both, both to have big games. I don't want with without Mahomes in my lineup. I'm combating my Mahomes competitors by having his two top targets in Kelsey and Hill. No, no Sammy Watkins, no Pringle is a. Uh, I think Robinson is banged up at least, and. Um, I got his two guys that Mahomes is going to be looking their way. And I think that, you know, if Mahomes has a good game, you know, Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey are also going to have good games. And I I, I love Travis Kelsey this week, $7,800. I, I was able to fit him in by saving money around my other lives by fitting in Hooper in my flex and MVS in my wide receiver three spot. And then I, I found some values at running back. So I, I was really happy that I was able to get Kelsey in my lineup this week. Like I said, this is going to be a, a monster of an offensive game. And I think mm-hmm. Kelsey and, and Hill are going to feast. They're going to have good games. Yeah, and, and not like we need to talk up Kelsey and Tyreek Hill any more than their um, their offensive prowess has already shown yeah. all season. But CEH is also injured, and he might play a little bit this week, but I don't think he's likely to be nearly as effective as he was during the regular season. Kind of a, a, a joystick yeah. of a player who can do a little bit of everything well, in the running and passing game. So I think they're really going to lean on those two offensive yeah. weapons that especially they've loved when, so much all year and who have been so effective. Yeah, especially when the Chiefs' running game hasn't been as effective as they would like this season. They've looked... Travis Kelsey's way for receptions and short yardage receptions because he he's whenever they want they could get Kelsey for 10 yards or Kelsey for 8 yards whenever they want mm-hmm. they could do that and i think that if if they're going to you know move the sticks and continue to to sustain long drives the chiefs are going to look both the ways of Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey and I, I, i'm so happy i was able to get them both in my lineup yeah you you went with the two tight end set which is definitely yeah. atypical t- but like we first time i've done but- that yeah, this not year. a bad idea because I think Hooper does definitely represent flex value um, for thirty eight hundred. Um, you know, my my flex was Devin Singletary. He's coming in at forty five hundred. The reason I like Singletary, and I don't think he's going to be overall very effective in this game. Um, it's just more of a volume play and and guaranteed volume because his running partner Zach Moss is out. 
So if there is going to be some fantasy points to be had from the running back position on the bills, it's almost certainly going to come from Devin Singletary. Uh, He also specializes more as a pass catcher. So in a game where we think Baltimore is going to be able to shut down the run a bit, I actually don't mind Devin Singletary coming out of the backfield and catching a few passes, which is, um, which is really good in DFS because each pass caught is worth one whole point, which is equivalent to 10 yards. So an easy way for a player who may not typically be as good of a, a start to get some points into your lineup. Definitely. Yeah. I, I like Singletary this week, but he's not, he doesn't have the ceiling that you would hope for. So like you said, the, the volume play is that it was with Singletary, but in games that Zach Moss has missed this season, he's missed a few of them, a good amount of them. Uh, Singletary has averaged about 13.2%, I mean, 13.2 points per game in those, in those matchups that he, uh, Moss has has missed. And so like, like you said, it's just the volume play. It's a, it's a high floor, low ceiling play. And that's someone that if you just need, if you need to cash in your lineup, if you're looking to, you know, get that point total boosted, the flex, the flex position could be something you could do that with. And, uh, I, I don't hate that play with Singletary. I think it's a good one. Yeah, I think we're expecting somewhere in the like nine to thirteen point total, and that if he does get that, then I'll be happy. And I think it's a pretty safe assumption that he'll be in that range. Definitely. All right, let's roll into the defensive position. I went with the. Did you go with the same the same matchup as me? The Los Angeles Rams against the Green Bay Packers, right? Oh yes, I did. I, I there was no way I'm going off the Rams this week after how awesome they looked last week. Yeah, I, I mean, look, they're the second cheapest defense this week and it's because the green bay packers are the number one offense in the in the league this year but look the rams are the number one scoring defense they are going to generate points and generate value on the defense defensive side of the football look you, you could spend up you could you could try to find a way to to get the saints in your lineup or look these teams are all so good that there's not a good defensive matchup this week there, none of these teams have good matchups on defense and so let's pick your poison you know and the poison that i pick I'm going to pick the most talented defense. I'm going to pick the Rams. They're easily the most talented. They got a generational, possibly the greatest defensive lineman, in my opinion, in NFL history in Aaron Donald. That guy is amazing. I hope that the 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 rib injury doesn't affect him too much because I really want to see that matchup between Donald versus the, the Green Bay offensive line and Aaron Rodgers. I think that's going to be super exciting to watch. Looking forward to that one. Yeah, I actually think the way that this game matches up for for the Rams is is pretty good um, when you consider their strengths. I think that Ramsey, uh, or if they're able to double-team him and then just put Ramsey on the other side of the ball and just take away someone else completely, they can do that. I think there's a lot of ways this defense could possibly be successful against the Packers. And, you know, I I think that talent at the end of the day is more predictive towards a a defensive fumble recovery or defensive touchdown. Um, And when we're talking about the, the splitting hairs between these matchups, yeah, just go with the talent because that means they're more likely to score. And this team had five defensive touchdowns on the season, which is pretty impressive for a defense, as well as they had um, 24 uh, turnovers on the year. So they're almost a lock for a turnover. Uh, yeah, so give me the Rams as well. Yeah, the uh, also the uh, Green Bay Packers and the LA Rams over-under point total is the lowest on the week, 45 and a half. That's the lowest you'll see. Right. So implied, we, we don't think the Rams are really going to push the Packers to need to score a lot, right? Totally. That's kind of the case, the offense, too. So. Yeah, exactly. That's a good point because the Rams offense isn't going to, you know, keep up with the if this turns into a super high scoring game for the Green Bay Packers, the Rams aren't going to the offense isn't going to keep them, you know, pushing the pushing the envelope with that. 
yeah, I don't think it's going to be a shot for shot type of game where Goff and Rodgers are going <laughs> back and yeah. forth. Probably with a more conservative balls. matchup. Absolutely. All right. That's going to do it for our DFS selections. Connor, who'd you go with again in your lineup? Read off. Read it down real quick at quarterback Patrick Mahomes, 8,000. Running back Cam Akers, 5,700. Nick Chubb at running back, 6,600. Then I went with Tyreek Hill as my wide receiver, one, 8,000. Marquise Brown, 5,200. And Antonio Brown at 5,400. And then at tight end, I'm going with Austin Hooper for 3,800. Devlin Singletary in the flex for 4,500. And the Rams defense for 2,600. I like it. All right, my matchups. I mean, my lineup this week, Josh Allen at quarterback, 7,400. Cam Akers and Kareem Hunt at running back, uh, 5,700 and 4,800 for those two. Wide receiver, Tyreek Hill, 8,000. Robert Woods, 5,900. Marquez Valdez-Scandling, 3,800. Tight end, Travis Kelsey for $7,800. And then my flex, Austin Hooper for $3,800. And my defense of the week, the Los Angeles Rams for $2,600 against the Green Bay Packers. Connor, I, I like our lineups. I think we got some sexy lineups this week. We should have uh, another good another good result. I, I anticipate for DFS. We're continuing to keep the ball rolling, stay hot. I think we're we're doing a really good job on this this year, and I, I will. I don't think that trend is is going to uh, discontinue this week. No, yeah, I'm certainly hoping to roll forward some of our success, and I, I as well feel really good about these lineups, and uh, we'll get them posted on social uh, so that everybody, uh, if you guys want to participate, and you know you just want to see your line, see our lineups in front of your eyes, and you know copy them, get them into your DFS plays too. Uh, it'll be out there, so keep an eye out. Certainly. All right, Connor, that's going to be a wrap for our episode 61 analysis for the divisional round of the NFL playoffs. Really enjoyed the podcast, buddy. It was a good one. I think we had a lot of good points. We had a lot of discussion on this one, and uh, we're, we're going to keep the keep stay hot. You know, stay hot in our, in our in our gambling handicapping and our DFS selections. I think we're doing a good job. Any last thoughts, buddy? Uh, I definitely plan on staying vicious as well. <laughs> definitely. All right, buddy. Remember to follow all things analysis on our social media platforms. We're on Facebook, Instagram. Our Instagram account is doing really well. I think we got a lot of great posts. You've been doing a really good job on that. We're also on YouTube, Twitter uh linkedin we're on all the social media platforms except for snapchat really um and then also please subscribe rate review vicious talk with benny p on any um platform you're listening to us on we're on uh, soundcloud spotify apple Podcasts, google Podcasts, podcast one we're on all of them you name it we really appreciate everybody's support looking forward to continue to continue to uh offer our great analysis and uh, statistical analysis for the rest of the NFL postseason and we'll have I think uh, an exciting offseason and some good work ahead for all things analysis absolutely man thank you for having me on Benny alright buddy before we wrap it up I'm going to ask everybody one more time are you vicious <laughs> <laughs>